Hey guys and welcome to or back to the Pause and Pursuit podcast with your host Summer Clark. So today we have a very exciting guest episode. I'm going to be speaking to Nicola Wildman of Wild Pause Agility all about event prep and preparing for major events such as AWC that Nicola has coming up in only a few weeks time now so that's super exciting. But before we get into that I'm going to bring you my weekly recap. Now I would just like to take a minute to introduce you guys to the podcast sponsor Huel. So here I have one of the ready to drink Huel meals, the berry flavour. Huel ready to drink is a meal in a bottle with over 20 grams of protein. It really is the perfect meal for when you are on the go. You don't need to sacrifice convenience or nutrition, you can have both with ready to drink. Each serving has 26 vitamins and minerals. This means every bottle of ready to drink has 175 health benefits. It is made from natural ingredients such as coconut, sunflower seeds, tapioca, pea protein, flax seeds and hemp seed protein. Every meal is vegan and it has no gluten, no palm oil, no GMO, no lactose and no animal products whatsoever. It comes in eight delicious flavours including iced coffee caramel and strawberries and cream as well as the classics like vanilla, chocolate and banana. It is absolutely delicious and just tastes like a milkshake. It is widely sold in supermarkets, petrol stations and corner shops around the UK and it can be conveniently purchased online. I found out about Huel because I was looking for a product that would give me all the nutrients that I need while travelling to events and staying over at competitions and training events. So when it's time to refuel and have a meal I can just drink a ready-to-drink Huel product and get all my nutrients quickly, easily and without cooking. It's perfect when I don't have the time or the facilities to cook. For example, when I'm camping at a competition, I'm going to be drinking at least one a day at KCI and Dogs in Need. If you're super busy, just like me, then you really don't want to miss out. You can easily and conveniently shop ready-to-drink from Huel at the link uk.huel.com slash pause. I hugely appreciate anyone and everyone that uses my link as it helps keep this podcast running and every sale through that link helps keep my podcast going. Buying through my link also gets you a free t-shirt which will be auto applied at the checkout. If you subscribe to a Huel order you can save 10%. You can choose how often your subscription comes for example every two weeks, four weeks, six weeks etc and these are super easy to manage on the website and you can edit whenever you like. uk.huel.com slash pause. So um, since I last spoke to you, I had my first week at my brand new job. Um, I'm social media executive at Influwork. Um, I did tell you that in the last episode and I also posted it on socials. So dream job, love it. Still just part time at the moment. You know, it's a pretty new company, but I've had my first week um, and I'm absolutely loving it so far. And I've only just got started. So that is really cool. Um, that is pretty much all that happened in the week that's different to normal, I suppose. Um, well, it is my new normal, I suppose. And then at the weekend just gone, we were at, where were we? Southam, Southam, Southam. Comment down below how you say that. I think it's Southam, but I never know. Um, maybe I have a weird Northern accent. But yeah, we were there. Um, I did a post about it yesterday, so that'd be Sunday, um, which you've probably seen by now, but it wasn't our best show results wise. I'm very much trying to adopt a new mindset around running arrows. So now he's grade seven, I'm trying to use the sort of smaller normal shows with just your normal grady classes, as in no qualifiers or anything like that, to really push him and myself and test our skills. Um, and obviously that's risking going wrong. Um, and that's what's happening. So obviously fewer clears from arrow and obviously more wild moments as well, because I'm pushing him, he's getting more excited, he's more aroused, he's gonna listen less because he's so highly strong. Um, so, you know, our consistency is wavering due to that. 
which doesn't feel great but at the same time I'm pushing through because I think this approach will sort of help us in the long run. Um, you know he's got all these cool skills that I know he can do at training but I've been like choosing safer options and stuff in competition because I'm like oh he can do that training but he won't do it in competition. So I haven't been trying and then I try and because I've never made him do it in competition you know he doesn't do it in competition so if I don't practice those things in competition and go wrong a few times to practice that he's not how am I supposed to expect him to ever do those in competition and we're going to need those things in competition to reach our next goal so champ you know I've got to push him and get the most out of him to achieve the things I want to achieve next with him now with grade seven so I've got to start doing that and I've got to start getting us both comfortable with doing those tricky bits in the ring but Obviously, as it's new, um, it's a different approach to handling and running for both of us. So we're making a few more mistakes. Uh, but he did do some really cool things. I put a little compilation video up on socials. Go check those out. Um, he did do some really nice bits. So he's threadle wrapping in the in the ring really nicely. Um, contacts were not great because there were literally every single contact we had, except one, and even this was a slight angle, was like a proper 90 degree or more turn off a dog walk and a seesaw. And I haven't trained it, well, I'm training his turns in the garden, but I don't have the room to do it on an actual dog walk in the garden. So I can't do that until I get to a venue. Do you know what I mean? So it's really, really hard um, training turns in that circumstance. Not making excuses, just saying it is difficult. We'll get around it, we'll get there eventually. Um, we're trying our best, you know, I do seesaw pretty much every day. Only like five or six in the garden just to keep him in there. Um, and he's fine doing turns off it there, obviously, but it's these things we need to practice in competition. And it's such a long process. It takes so long. It's, you know, it's quite dubious. It, you know, you, I was going to say my self-esteem, but not really self-esteem. You sort of, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe it is self-esteem. You know, you sort of, you just feel a bit, oh God, here we go. You know, not doing very well at the moment, am I? Do you know what I mean? Like, it just puts you in a bit of a down mood, but fighting through that, thinking this will help us in the long term. I'm just going to see how it goes, give him some time, uh, but I do think, you know, I enjoy running him more like that. I don't like running safe, it's not as fun, um, so that's one reason that I'm doing it as well. Um, and another one is he responds so much better to it uh, in general, you know, he loves it. You know, our runs are more smooth, flowing, stuff like that, there's just those little blips in there, you know, those gaps where I haven't quite sort of proofed that in competition yet, so that's what I'm starting to do. And I think that is everything from the weekly recap. Yeah, so that's everything. Uh, good times. Anyway, all positive, really. Um, even the negatives can turn into a positive. Always managed to do that in the end. Um, but yeah, so without further ado, let's get straight into the conversation with Nicola and I hope you enjoy it. So, um, just in case anyone doesn't know who you are, but I'm sure everyone does, do you want to just give a brief introduction of yourself, your dogs and your life in agility? Uh, yeah, so I'm Nicola Wildman. Um, I've been doing agility now for 27 years. Um, I have two dogs that I currently run, um, which is uh, Zest and Panache. Um, they're both Border Collies. Um, Zest won the Championship at Crofts in 2022 and the Singles at Crofts in 2023. Uh, Panache is my younger dog, my run-by boy. Um, he is uh, three now. Uh, he won the Novice at Crafts in 2022 and just yesterday he qualified for the Agility Stakes, uh, formerly was Olympia. And um, yeah, so he's um, he's trailblazing, bless him. He's, uh, he's doing great, progressing how I like young mm -hmm. dogs too. Mm -hmm. I, uh, from a sort of 
job perspective, I guess, though it's not really a job. Um, I run Wild Boars Agility, which is the biggest subscription weekly class um, provider in the country. So we provide in-person agility training um, on a on a weekly basis and sort of one-hour classes in a group of uh, six people. So um, we're doing that and me and my group of instructors uh, deliver that and we have an amazing Wild Boars family and uh, we're all really close and that's lovely. So it's it's a job that's not really a job. Yeah, it um, doesn't feel like which one. Which is lovely. And I sometimes travel around the country doing seminars, but I'm doing a bit less of that, uh, to be honest, and putting more time into um, developing the bonds that we have with all the uh, students that we have locally. Yeah, cool. How old's Panache now? Uh, so Panache is three. Um, okay. He will be four in February. Oh, okay. Um, Similar to Arrow then. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What about Zest? They're How old is he? at that cool age. Yes. <laughs> what about Zest? Uh, so Zest is eight now. Uh, she'll be nine in May. So, she, uh, so she's got the England, she won the England Super Win on Spot at CSJ to go there. So when she uh, when she goes to the WAO for England this year, she'll be nine. Um, mm-hmm. So that's quite interesting in terms of um, the developments of the stuff that we're, we're, we're kind of fun to talk about in this podcast was yeah. um, still preparing for big events. And I think there'll, there'll be quite a few changes in how I prepare for um, those events, bearing in mind her age versus maybe like if I was to prepare for Nash for a big event. Yeah, because it's dog dependent, isn't it? A lot of things. So. Yeah, oh. I, think we're, I think more age dependent in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Yeah, very true. So the first question is, what are the different ways that you prepare your dog for an event? So very broad question, because I'm assuming there's quite a lot of ways, but... Yeah. Um, so maybe in terms of, if I was putting it into categories, I guess, maybe, because if I go into everything, we could just be here for hours. Yes. Um, <laughs> so if I'm putting it in terms of categories, then I guess I've got, um, there's my mental preparation, um there's and I think this is massively overlooked there's the dog's mental preparation which yeah. sounds weird like I don't sit there with a flip chart with mm-hmm. my dogs being like right and this yeah. is point A B it's not like some kind of army briefing for them <laughs> um, but like mentally having them prepared for the event um there's them being uh physically prepared so their physical preparations mm-hmm. so yeah their fitness um appropriate susceptibilities my own fitness mm-hmm. um appropriate susceptibilities and then obviously there's the agility side of that um there's you know um my dog's skills and skill sets and then there's my ability to course run and get them round a yeah. course mm-hmm. um and i i say that because i don't think that the dog's ability to get round a full 20 obstacles is really often improved by running them around 20 obstacles yeah um, but i think the handlers need that a lot lot more than the dogs yeah. need that especially as far um, as a fitness aspect like side of it goes do you know what i mean like a lot of people may get to like 15 and then be out of puff do you know what i mean like i think that's yeah. quite that's quite overlooked as well for me though i think that fits more into handler fitness because yeah. i think um and i i suspect we'll come to this um, mm-hmm. a little bit later yeah, yeah. because I've had some I've had some good preps I've had some bad preps mm-hmm. I've had some good international events I've had some bad international events um and I think I've learned from those experiences and I think yeah. that was, was kind of some of the learning there mm-hmm. um and then I guess as well as that there's the there's the more sort of formal planning and research side of it there's like the if we're talking about an international event or even a national event you mm-hmm. know where am I staying? How am I eating? Um, yes, there's more yeah. like logistics side mm. of things. And I guess if you're going away and competing internationally, then 
the logistics side of it is pretty huge. And yeah. I think people often forget that and they're like, oh, my, and the amount of people that are panicking before yeah. they go out is unbelievable. Like, oh my God, I've got to get some animal health certificates. And yeah. they gave us some information really late this year for the European Open, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, everyone needs to have their dogs vaccinated with the three base, three vaccines. And oh, it's God. like, with and they had they gave us like 24 hours in order to be able to have this done oh wow the event. thankfully mine were teeter tested and I had the I had the proof for the teeter tests but that had to have been done in the last four years as well and it's oh, just oh yeah like when spanners like that get thrown in the works it's like did you have everything else ready or were you waiting for kind of last minute yeah. com and then someone else throws one thing in the works and you know that's the straw that breaks the camel's back because sometimes yeah the events aren't as organized as maybe people think they might be yeah that's it and it's especially hard when you're sort of ready to do all the prep but then the event hasn't given you the information you need to do that I think that happened to me one of the years I was on uh, the YKCGB team and it was around Brexit yeah. time and there was all that with mm-hmm. dogs needing like there, there were new you know laws for dogs coming in and out of countries and you know we didn't know what was going yeah. on until last minute and then that, you know we needed vaccinations and I think it was a blood test to make sure they had enough antibodies or whatever yes and then if they yeah, didn't they need the vaccination that. but it was all so last minute and it was so stressful but luckily Ethel did have enough antibodies in her system but that could have really caused out you know mm-hmm. yeah it's hard. I remember that year too that was a nightmare yeah definitely yeah you probably had a similar thing for uh, seniors if you were on that year didn't you yeah, yeah yeah I I remember that year and having to have all the the rabies vaccine then you had to wait that was it, amount yeah. of time then you had to have the antibody check the antibodies weren't enough and you had to have another baby. I mean, thankfully for me as well, as blood tested and her previous rabies vaccine had held um, and she had enough antibodies in her system. Yeah, same with Ethel. It was stressful. And then obviously Mm. the next question was, what are the different ways that you prepare yourself for an event? So, you know, I suppose the difference between the dog prep and your prep, but you said how, you know, there's physical and mental side to both, not just, you know, it's not just the dog, it's a lot of you as well. Yeah, I think I think often it's just making sure that you and the dog peak at the right time. And I think actually the methods to do that are fairly similar because yeah. of course with from a physical perspective, so either a dog or me, mm. muscle building or reaching peak, which is kind of, you know, what we're doing with um with Zest at the moment, ready for worlds, mm-hmm. um, you you have to um you have to stress those this probably isn't the right terminology but you have to stress those muscle fibers in order to create micro tears yeah and then to be able to build muscle again mm-hmm. but what you don't want to be doing is then um you know running the dog at full pelt while they're repairing those little micro tears um so that can be a really um that can be quite a challenging programming issue in terms of building muscle and things like that so for me i'd rather mm-hmm. do the muscle building in both myself and my dogs earlier but then also um, come in and into the program a bit later. So you've created the micro tears through building muscles. So for yeah. example, like I was gym today mm-hmm. um, and I do some squats and, you know, I'm working quite close to my limit. I'm going to end up with some micro tears in the muscle, which is good because I need that to then rebuild the muscle back stronger. Yeah. But the challenge then is, um, mm-hmm. is doing the sport specific stuff at the same time. Mm-hmm. About, you know, um, working the dog's muscles and building dog muscle and stuff like that. Someone did ask, do you use therapeutic products such as back on track in the build up to events? Yeah. So I thought this was really interesting, actually. Yeah. um, 
some people will know, some people won't. Um, but, you know, I'm sponsored by uh, Karma Fitness for my personal fitness stuff with um, Chris Curtin. Yes. And I think um, something he said to me um, in the early stages actually was <laughs> was really useful because I'm I was sort of um, getting intrigued by it and I was like, oh, what about this supplement? What about that? And yeah. What about this and what about that? And he's like, right, whoa, just stop it. I was like, mm-hmm. right, okay. He says, are you getting enough sleep? Oh, okay. And I Interesting. was like, uh, you know, I'm getting like five and a half hours. And he's yeah. like, right, until you're getting eight hours of sleep, like stop bothering with all that other stuff, thinking about all these buddies, sexy supplements and things like that. He said, none of those will get you as many gains as eight hours sleep will. Yeah, so, yeah, that's like, true. I, I do the same thing with my colleagues. I'm like, mm. okay, you need structured rest. And I don't mean like rest time in the van mm-hmm. while I'm traveling around the country. What I mean is you need to be settled at home in a bed, have a chill day. So quite often I'll leave my dogs at home with Mark. He works from home. You know, he's being quite boring in the office, not with the humans hustling and bustling around the house. Like, you know, they should be getting like 18 hours of sleep a day. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think it's it's a lot of that. So I do use some of those products, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's I think until you're doing the basics mm. well, like a proper warm up and cool down, like there's absolutely no point in having. So back and tracks the one um, used, and it's probably because people mm-hmm. have seen my dogs in back on track coats. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah. Now. I do use them, and and part of the reason that I use them is because I think it slightly prolongs my dog's warm-up. So, you know, if there's a delay between me warming my dog up and me running my dog, and sometimes, you know, things go wrong, the timers break. Yeah, Um, yeah. The judge needs to go for a pee. Any Mm -hmm. of those things that happen, um, I want to be able to keep my dog warm without necessarily knackering them out. But if you're not doing a good warm-up to start with and you just want to slap a back-on-track coat on, Mm. like, that's not going to work. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's that's true. me you know, trying to hammer the gym every day, but I'm getting three hours sleep at night. Yeah, um, yeah. It's not going to have the the desired effect. So, like, with with Chris and my physical fitness, it was like, right, what are we eating? Are we getting enough protein in there? Mm. And same with my dogs. I've been, um, I've been down a bit of a road with Panache recently, actually, with his um, nutrition, and he was eating sort of, you know, almost double what he should have been eating, but he wasn't getting any of the nutrition from it. Uh, okay. Now, he's fed the absolute flipping best food, foods, mm. like the Nature's Menu, another sponsor shout out. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Nature's Menu food that he's given is mm-hmm. incredible quality. Like, the pictures from their factory of all the food before it goes into it is just amazing. Mm. Um, but he wasn't getting any of that nutrition, and just a simple uh, okay. addition of a pre and probiotic. He's chucked on four kilos oh, wow. in okay. six weeks. Oh, wow. Four kilos in six yeah. weeks. And he's now having his food cut back. Like, uh, so okay. it just shows how much importance you need to place on the core things of sleep, nutrition, before you start going into sexy stuff. So, yeah, I use I use back and track jackets um, because I think they're a nice lightweight jacket, actually, and I haven't mm-hmm. found anything else that covers... Um, all the rear leg muscles as well as the back on track jackets do mm-hmm. and the neck area. Um, I just haven't found anything with the same amount of coverage. And they do feel nice and warm. Like when I slip my hand underneath them, um, yeah, you, can you know, tell. are they feeling warm? Mm. But I do, I think it's just a little step up from having another jacket with the same amount of coverage. Yeah. Um, it's more it of do, an aid I, than like, it's not something that you rely on. It's just, it helps. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of an yeah, extra. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do supplement. I've recently bought a Biomag. Um, mm-hmm. It's because although there's no actual scientific data that supports them, for me, a lot of 
physical therapists mm-hmm. um, that I know that, you know, are treating before and after are using them and say that it really does aid with recovery. And I thought, well, do you know what, actually? Um, and I sometimes have started using it on my shoulder. So, okay, yeah. And it just, even, even if it doesn't work, because there's no papers that mm-hmm. say it works, and I get that. Um, but even if it just makes me feel a little bit better, then, you know, I'm cool with that. Yeah, every um, little helps. So <laughs> I, I do use some things um, mm-hmm. for sure. But I think getting the core things right is way, way more important yeah. than any of the the sexy marketing stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I guess that's where I where I stand on sexy products yeah um, <laughs> makes sense until you've got all the core stuff right don't bother yeah that's really interesting what you said though about um not putting you know the dog not putting on on weight do you know what I mean because Arrow mm-hmm. he eats like lots of his raw food he has plenty of food but he's just like he's so skinny and I think it's because he's always moving as well you know he's always burning it off but you know he does sleep but he's just one of those dogs that's just so wired do you know what I mean he's always like yeah. buzzing about and stuff like that so it makes you think doesn't it yeah, I, I really like mine to have an off switch and mm. I and I will train an off switch if there isn't one inbuilt in yeah. there. Um in my quite little Panache came with a lovely off switch. He mm. has a lovely on off switch, it's wonderful. Um but um for some dogs I think you need to train them an off switch. And yeah, I think definitely. like that is just super important for them to get proper rest. Yeah. Proper mm-hmm. sort of structured rest, particularly before a big event or something yeah. like that. Um, I mean, it's so similar, rest. isn't it, like, to us going to the gym. Like, you need your rest days to repair the muscles. And, you know, I think people don't realise it's exactly the same for dogs. Like, they they still have all the muscles and, you know, all the same features as we do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we still, well, biology rules still apply. Oh, yeah, yeah, We're all still exactly. Mammals, yeah, that's it. Biology rules still apply. They didn't, mm-hmm. um, they didn't skip a species. Exactly, um, exactly. Whilst they were doing this. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It all makes sense. So do you train more frequently than usual in the build-up to an event? So by train, I'm assuming this person means like agility. So agility, agility classes, course running, uh, you know, anything to do yeah. with agility equipment. So probably less, actually. Okay. Um, so I probably train less. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it depends on what, you, what they're thinking about close. So if they're thinking about in the month before, so let's say we're thinking about now for Worlds, um, less. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to increase the risk of injury in my dog's prize mm-hmm. because the closer I get to the event, the less chance that I would have to repair things if there were anything that was to go wrong in training. You know, even just a minor thing, like a really, really minor thing, yeah. um, can at this stage have a huge impact on the training. So if I'm thinking about sort of, uh, sort of a three-month program, mm-hmm. then actually the training will probably be more, well, let's say four months. Like, you know, the first month might be targeted heavily on the physical stuff. So yeah. me mm-hmm. and the dogs building muscle, mm-hmm. um, you know, preparing our bodies to do everything they need to do. Mm-hmm. Then we might be going more into technique sort of in the second month. Um, so second month might be more, okay, this judge really likes to test off-end tunnels or this judge really likes to test um, you know, tight running contact exits. Um, yeah, and that comes from your own, like, I research into the, the actual judges as well. Do you get what I mean? So yeah, that, I suppose so that's part then, of your prep, looking at judges yeah, and courses that they've I done, yeah. That comes into one of the later questions, doesn't it? Yeah, I think course analysis is in one of them, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do the sort of technique work there. Yeah. And then sort of in the following two months, I'm sort of focusing on course running. Mm-hmm. But the training load actually is probably decreased. 
okay. so month on month so say we've got a four month lead up mm-hmm. then you know month one muscle building month two skills building months three and four are then going to be focused on um on the course running mm-hmm. mostly to get us sharp and to figure out if there are any problems so i'm hoping you know in month three i've figured out any skills holes for my dogs mm-hmm. um and i've fixed them during that month and then month yeah. four is just like polishing yeah like, okay, yeah a little we're just bit polishing this up a little mm-hmm. bit now we're just getting it slick yeah not risking um, too much hopefully be finding any more skills holes at that point yeah yeah um, mm-hmm. or if we are there's stuff we're aware of and we've gone okay i'm gonna live with that because you're not yeah. gonna fix every yeah. skill issue before mm-hmm. you go out to an event it's more having an awareness so i might need to choose a different handling option yeah i go a bit safer my dog is weak at that skill yeah yeah that's totally fair um so do you taper yourself or your dog in the build-up to an event and why or why not so taper you know i guess rest for a few weeks leading up like complete rest doing nothing i'm guessing that means uh yeah so maybe um so that's a different understanding than i have of uh tapering so yes i definitely do taper yes. um no doubt so for me that involves a gradual reduction yeah tapering um, off, yeah. of the of the activity so mm-hmm. we're, we're sort of talking about month four here so um so we're what now we're like we're like two weeks away from worlds maybe mm-hmm. a little bit longer like yeah i think so in 19 days something like that mm-hmm. um so in sort of a, a week's time or so um mm-hmm. i'll be starting to taper down the activity particularly any physical stuff so you know like if you were doing downs to stands with your dog or whatever mm-hmm. at that point i'd be like okay it's time to stop that um, yeah. because we've built everything that we're going to build like i'm probably not going to be doing huge sessions in the gym or anything mm-hmm. then um so that's when we begin and again it's about injury um reduction yeah, so trying yeah, to reduce definitely. the chance of injury by mm-hmm. not overloading any muscles at that point yeah definitely. um i guess then um i'm focusing a little bit more on the mental side of things mm-hmm. have i sort of visualized like the worlds um because it's coming up you know i know what this arena looks like the world's mm-hmm. been held there before yeah i haven't been there before i've never been to worlds this is my first year of worlds okay um, obviously mm-hmm. with the introduction of the intermediate height category yes yeah um, true that's that's massively um, sort of helps me and zest out because mm-hmm. um, she she's not the best jumping dog mm-hmm. and jumping her over large was really difficult for her. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, she's... Um, so, yeah, first year that I've been to Worlds because my dog that I ran before zest uh, was a Kelpie, which isn't a recognised breed over here. Oh, um, yeah, they have to be purebred, don't they? Yeah, yeah they have to yeah. be pedigree, but not that. They have to be pedigree registered in the country of origin so uh, like yeah. for us mm. in the uk mm-hmm. kelpies can compete at worlds but they yeah. can't compete at worlds from the uk oh okay oh that's such a pain. Not a registered breed over here so they have to be yeah. a registered breed with the kennel club that you are part of um uh. see now i've lost my train of thought i was like ah, <laughs> kelpies um, so yeah so i was doing that and prepping um for worlds mm-hmm. so i yeah i'm gradually tapering it off into more mental prep so i know what the arena looks like um it's been held there before so i can watch some videos and things mm-hmm. get a rough idea of the layout do as much sort of research as i can yes uh before i go and i'll do a venue scout um, yeah yeah i'll go and have a nosy and uh 
see what's about in the days before the event. Yeah, because um, there's nothing worse than getting yeah, to a venue and thinking, training. where is anything? <laughs> yeah. where, the big thing is, where are the toilets? Yeah, yeah, it's always are. the first thing, isn't it? <laughs> you can guarantee you will need a nervous wee before you run. Yeah, like, literally. absolutely given. So and then you need another one five minutes later critical. and you'll be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Every time. When I know where the three toilets are, and particularly the ones that no one else has found, yes, then yeah. that is no that's cue. Key. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> After walk, when everyone wants to go for a week. Yes. Um, <laughs> and you're running number three. Oh, um, God. Stress. Yeah, I know. So, um, so, yeah, there's that side mm-hmm. of things and reducing down the course running. So, um, generally, I'll run the hardest courses. Um, so I'm starting to pick easier courses from the judges. Um, so my, yeah, I'm focused specifically on the judges that I'm running. And I'm only, I know who's judging which classes as well. Yes. So like, mm-hmm. I know the two judges that are judging agility. I know the two judges that are judging jumping. So I'm getting very specific and only running jumping courses from some judges and agility courses mm-hmm. from others because otherwise it's it's pointless. Yeah, um, yeah, no, like that's it's, true. It's a waste of my time. To yeah, yeah. A dog walk exit with a judge I'm going to see in jumping so yeah yeah no that's very true maybe more so, of a weave yeah. entry <laughs> yeah. so yeah. definite tapering mm-hmm. um for me uh I think it's really important um some dogs some dogs do better without uh, a full taper like they need to do something yeah um but I think you should always be careful with that mm. to not sort of, over, you know, if you're going to do a session, just take them down and do quite an easy session with them um, just to give them enough or like, you know, do a bit of scent work or mm. something else with them to work their brains yeah. so that they're not giddy. Yeah, that's high. what I was going to say with Arrow. I think if I gave him like a few weeks off doing things like that, he would come to the event and then be like, oh my God, it's so exciting. I haven't done it for so long. So it's a fine line, isn't it? Again, knowing your, knowing your own dog and how they respond, I guess, always helps. Yeah, your tapers only to get to physical peak though. So yes. you mm-hmm. wouldn't need multiple weeks unless you had an injury. Yeah, You wouldn't yeah. need multiple weeks in order mm-hmm. to rest completely. So if you think, you know, the, think the hardest gym session of your life or the time you've work, woken up with the worst aching muscles yes. <laughs> and how long that took to recover. Mm. Like, for me, that plus a couple of days is your ideal tapering period. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because what you're trying to do is make sure that there's your body and the dog's body is firing on all cylinders, absolute mm-hmm. maximum, ready to go. Yeah, Um mm-hmm. So it's enough rest to ensure that any micro tears or anything, which may have been created by any kind of training, mm-hmm. are all fully recovered so that when you and the dog step on the start line, you're not leading out. Yes. But you yeah. are a dog and thinking, oh, I'm just a little bit stiff behind yeah. my knee, mm-hmm. whatever. That's happened to me so many times where I've gone to a competition and still been sore from like two days ago at the gym. And it's just mm. so much harder. Like, it's like the difference between making a blind or not making a blind. <laughs> like, stuff like yeah. that. Definitely. Yeah, exactly that. So, for the taper, then you kind of more or less start tape, you know, you like start with physical stuff and then kind of taper off and do more mental stuff towards the end while you're doing physically less, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, hundred yeah, okay. percent. And I'm tending to up any kind of mobility exercises as well. So yeah, like, yeah. For me, I might be doing some yoga yeah. or like very, very lightweight mobility stuff. Mm-hmm. And my dogs would move away from doing kind of muscle building exercises, and they might move to doing a lot more proprioception in related yes. stages. So, mm-hmm. like you know, stepping over poles and different surfaces and things mm-hmm. like that, um, because that's not stressing their muscles, but it's keeping all of those sort of neurons firing that make sure that when they step on that line, hopefully they don't touch that pole yeah um, definitely or, you know they you know they've got everything is bang in tune so yeah. you don't want to do nothing mm-hmm. like absolutely nothing either because then you're you, and your eye gets stiff and then i feel like my body's yeah work definitely yeah uh, with poles then that was interesting you said um so do you reckon in dogs that knock poles a lot sort of doing the proprioception work away from agility can help them you know just pick you know people when people say i'll oh, pick your feet up do you know what i mean do you think that can help the dog you know, sort of be more aware of the pole and not rushing it, if that makes sense. Yeah, kind of going I off think, a bit there, but... Yeah, I think it does. I think with poles, uh, it's always hard, and it's also quite a controversial topic. Yeah. Do we pole response cost or not repole yeah. response cost? That's like a whole... <laughs> oh, yeah, new topic, yeah, uh, definitely. Topic. Um, just give me an idea there. <laughs> I think proprioception is just understanding where your body is in space. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's the same for humans and dogs you know like could I reach behind me and pick up whatever is on there yeah um without looking do I understand how close I am to that bookshelf behind yeah. me mm-hmm. um yes or no and with the dogs if they understand exactly where all their feet are how deep their chest is you know how good reach they have in their mm-hmm. legs then definitely that will help them to understand how to use their body in space yeah um and I think with panache actually as part of his kind of recovery journey Mm. from the nutrition side of things obviously there were um there were side effects clearly to him not getting that nutrition as there would be any human so we've done a lot of proprioceptive work with him actually um because he doesn't i don't think he necessarily trusts his proprioception yeah um Mm. So I think he has an understanding, and we've always done quite a bit of work on it, but I don't think he trusted where he was placing his feet uh, okay. uh, necessarily. Yeah. And I think that had a big impact on his running dog walk oh, okay. in particular because yeah. of the width of the plank, the speed at which they have to do it at, yeah. the cost if they get it wrong. Yeah, um, no, that's true. I think is a huge thing. So actually what I'm seeing when he's coming back now is I'm doing a lot of work on him trusting where his feet are without him looking. Yeah. Because like when we started kind of this recovery journey, you would just fucking look down at the floor to step up an object. Yeah. And I'm like, well, okay. And he, he couldn't do it without looking down at the ground. Oh, okay. Checking the Interesting. ground was there first. Mm. Clearly that's a problem with a running dog walk. If you're yeah. looking down and you're having to check exactly where that plank is, and I'm asking you to do things out in front, mm. um, you know, and I'm saying, oh, by the way, I need you to do the obstacle discrimination out in front, please. There's three yeah. obstacles to pick from. Yeah. Um, so it's not, that's so, not even a training yeah. issue as such. That's, do you know what I mean? Like you could teach the no. best running dog walk ever, but if they've got that issue, then they're probably Can't not going to show it. it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, trust me, I tried. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Trust me, I tried and it mm. wasn't working. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it does. I think as well, having the muscle ability and a big thing i think it's warmer i don't think people warm yeah. their dogs up enough yeah um, no, definitely. and then if the dog has poles well you know if it flicks its back legs out ready to jump and it feels a little twinge because mm. you know it's not that part of its body is not warmed up properly then yeah i think you know that pole's coming down yeah um, yeah what kind of warm-ups do you do with your dogs then just briefly um so for me it's just getting the blood moving yeah. and then working through some similar movements so mm-hmm. you know working through um a 
you know, a, a walk, you know, have a sniff, toilet, yeah. then mm-hmm. up, upping it, you know, light jog, you know, to sort of doing more of a kind of, I guess, a counter um, and working through those and then mm-hmm. doing some sort of backing up. Any movement I can do that replicates but with less impact, the yeah. agility, so like, you know, sort of backing up, but it might be then sprinting forward, circling mm-hmm. around me, doing figures of eights, a good replication. Yeah, leg weaves is a good one, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of things like that, just asking them to go from a sit and then putting their front feet up on me to replicate that push off the ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's loads of really good exercises out there, but what you want to try and make sure before you step to the line is that firstly, there's plenty of blood in all the muscles. They're plenty yeah. warm mm-hmm. enough, so they've got that good elasticity. Mm-hmm. And then making sure as well then that each of those body parts has been through the ranges of motion that you're going to expect the dog to utilize on course again we don't want it to reach near an end range of motion and the dog go oh yeah like that that i haven't moved that bit in a while yeah Um, yeah Mm -hmm. like we want to make sure they've used all those ranges of motion during Mm warm-up so that then when they come to use them in uh, the competition it's They've already done it. Their body's yeah. already mm-hmm. prepared. Their body's like, yeah, I got this. We already did this bit in warm-up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's about that. Yeah, no, um, definitely. It, it will take me about ooh, 15 minutes yeah. to, to mm-hmm. warm my dogs up after they finish toileting and things. Yeah, and then cool down, I'm assuming, is the same, you know, but the other way around, getting, you know, uh, sort of getting yeah, slower. Yeah, stretches. Yeah, so lots of stretches yeah. and things. So we're, we're making sure that those muscles then remain nice mm-hmm. and elastic. Um, ready for the next run or the next training session yeah. or next weekend. Yeah, I think I saw a video on uh, the videos folder that you made actually of you doing some. I think one of your dogs was on the little paw pods doing some doing some stuff on those. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, that's Zest working on her. Um, I think Rona called it isometric work, but okay. you know, mm-hmm. someone will call me out and be like, ah, "That's not isometric." <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I have experts that tell me yeah, what to exactly. do because I can't possibly hold all that knowledge. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we were basically working on um, we're working on muscle building in her right fore because she had um, she had some twinges in there that kept kind of annoyingly coming back. So that's why I, I, people were like, oh my God, were you ill? And well, you know, you've been away from agility because I didn't come oh, in for a couple okay. of months. Oh. And I was like, actually, it's not to do, it wasn't to do with me at all. Um, it just coincidentally happened that we discovered the nutrition thing with Panache. Oh, and okay. um, I was working on zest. So she yeah. had a little bit of uh, lack of muscle in the right force. Oh, so we, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're building. So yeah. yeah, working on that forward stretching and her loading the other leg and stabilizing while she was doing uh, it is that what you um, mean when you say like at rehab you know with both dogs like bringing them back from those sort of issues that they had yeah, yeah. it's just taking yeah it's just taking some time out making sure you're doing some really specific stuff yeah. not mm-hmm. just i think the i think the classic bet thing of metacamera rest it drives me absolutely nuts and i yeah. did a talk um rona actually who uh is a rehab uh, vet specialist um, she's very, very amazing, by the mm-hmm. way. Huge shout out to her because she's just an absolute freaking savior. Yeah. Um, I don't know what I would do without her um, alongside, you know, the rest of the team that look after my dogs. Mm-hmm. But um, I think uh, I was talking, like she asked me to do a talk to her. She owns a practice, Donaldson's Vets, and there's multiple branches of this, and she invites other independent practices in. Okay. And I did a talk to 40 vets. Oh, wow. Um, oh, yeah, I think I saw that actually on the page, yeah. Yeah, and some of the um, 
some of the other sort of practitioners, the nurses and things within the practice, mm-hmm. and um, we're just kind of saying that, you know, I, I've never had an injury. I'm not saying there isn't injuries out there mm. where metacam arrest is the right path, yeah. because for some it is, mm-hmm. but it's always the automatic path rather than yeah. referring to, um, to a specialist. And it, often, actually, you know, if I'm... If I say, you know, oh, my, my dog's displaying something weird, I'm going to crate rest it. And, you know, then I, I go to see Rona and she's like, absolutely don't do that. You need yeah. to take this dog for five walks a day for 10 minutes. Yeah, it's um, not really fixing time. the issue, is it? Just doing that. You need to yeah, sort of go into it a bit deeper. It, but it might, fix the, it might fix the peripheral problem of, oh, my dog's got a sore muscle. But yeah. there's probably a root cause in there that you haven't got to and it's going to keep coming back time and time again. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, definitely. I mean, the, obviously Arrow has a physio every now and again. Um, I mean, it's not cheap, but but we give it to him because no. it's important. Um, but it is interesting, you know, how as well, like if he's got a little tweak in, say, his left shoulder, it can affect, like, his right back end. Do you know what I mean? Like, stuff yeah. like that, it can cause imbalances. So it's one tiny little issue that needs fixing that could just cause a whole range of problems that, you know, could be affecting him on the core. So it is, it is crazy. But you would never know without that person doing that. Do you get what I mean? Like, you would never know that. It has to get to quite an extreme stage, I think, before you recognise and acknowledge there. So, like, you know, in Leave to Worlds, like, Zest is having regular massages with um, Jan, who sponsors us from um, Lucky Dog Massage. She's And she's very good because she's going to spot anything. If her muscle's coming back and each time she's putting her hands on them, that muscle Mm. is repeatedly just a little bit tight. Yeah, um, yeah. Then you know there's something in there that needs addressing. Yeah, you know definitely. there'll always be a little bit of tightness here and there, and mm-hmm. you'll know that. You go to the gym, you get yeah, tightness yeah. here, tightness is there, and uh, yeah, yeah nothing major, but out. always something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> people tend to freak out when they go, "Oh, there's a little bit of a tight muscle there." It's like, "Oh, so, no, when did you wake up and roll out of bed feeling all hunky dory?" Yeah, <laughs> that would be a bit um, concerning in itself. You'd be like, "Have I not done anything for a week?" <laughs> you'd be like was I in a coma for Yeah, yeah. What happened? <laughs> yeah, that'd be worse. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, that yeah. makes sense. So what stage of agility uh, world championship preparation are you currently in and how is it going? So you said, what, 19 days odd now? So what yeah. stage would you kind of class that as for agility this world champs? world prep has not been how I would have wanted it to be. How oh, really? I okay. it out in an ideal blue sky thinking world yeah um, because of this thing i'm talking about with the right shoulder yes however mm-hmm. actually i think it's it's kind of worked out in quite a nice way zest is quite mature you know she's eight it's not yeah. like if i was taking panache to worlds yeah um, true. So if i was taking my younger dog to worlds with mm-hmm. me i'd be like we need to be doing a reasonable amount of course running here because we don't know each other that well yeah yet. like in yeah. the grand scheme of things yeah that makes around sense. those level of courses with mm. the level of accuracy required yeah particularly mm. for the team runs where yeah you know the accuracy is super important mm. definitely i with him i would want to be doing a lot more sequences a lot more skills but zest already knows her job yeah yeah like, she's Season eight pro. she's been around the block a few times yeah she's you know, sort of very at her mental peak in terms of agility. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. She knows what she's doing. So I'm a bit less worried about skill sets and things with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but the physical side is all coming together nicely. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, so I'm really happy now with where she's at physically because that was a little bit of a 
panic with the yeah. shoulder and I was like right okay we've got to get this bang on mm-hmm. um but I'm really happy she ran yesterday um at the agility stage quarters and she looked mm-hmm. amazing she just had a pull down of a last straight yeah to do with her eyes from going from a four foot wide wall to a yeah, six foot yeah yeah no pole. that's true yeah like it's hard it really to... does mm-hmm. not with them and the stride was big so she did a two stride and they went the gap can't be any bigger than two oh, strides okay yeah um, oh bless her <laughs> sort of took off yeah um she but tried. She looked really powerful yeah. around the course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to have started course running a little bit sooner than I have, but I'm actually really happy with the stage that we're at. So we're going to do some more courses now. Um, we're going to start moving on to some jumping courses. So mm-hmm. I've got five sessions left now okay. um, mm-hmm. before Worlds. I like to really restrict my sessions down because I think that the biggest kiss of death in dog training is mm-hmm. I'll just do one more. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It is kiss of death yeah. to a training yeah. session. Or wanting to you like end on a good it's one. Gonna go tits up. Yeah. <laughs> or like needing so to end on I the best one. Myself to the session. Yeah. And, you know, I had a session on Tuesday and mm-hmm. I, I had a course up. And you know what, Zest just couldn't get ahead over this little bit of this course. Like, she just couldn't. It just mashed her brain. Yeah. And then she turned into a dog that looked like it never done agility before. Yeah. And people, and I often see people, and they'll just keep banging their head against the brick wall. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, just put it down. Yeah. Let's yeah. just end the training session. Mm-hmm. And you know what, she came back the next session, same judge, slightly different course, and it was really good. But yeah. you could take yeah. your dog to the point of injury, just yes. keep doing just one more, just one more, just one yeah, more. Absolutely. just get that bit right. And I was like, her brain's There's gone. no point, yeah. I'm experienced enough now to realize that it would be stupid for me to continue. Yeah. Like in doing mm-hmm. that session, she came back the next session, and now she's running brilliantly. I feel like if I'd have continued to plug the issue with her and be like, no, well, you have to get this right. Yeah, yeah. I think that happens yeah. in competition as well. Like I've had it before where you know, one thing's gone wrong and then something else gone wrong and then like, he, like he'll just not, he won't, he can't get this certain bit. Do you know what I mean? But I know he can do it, but he's just not getting it. So that's when I, you know, I've left the ring before because I thought he's gone. He's not, do you know what I mean? I'm not getting his head back now for the rest of it. And, and that, you know, one, it'd be frustrating. Two, he could hurt himself. Do you know what I mean? And, And you kind of have to know when to just think, okay, let's, let's take him back. Come go to the next one in an hour, you know, and he'll hopefully have sorted himself out. But yeah, I think it comes from them losing confidence. Yeah. Um, so I think, and dogs like Zest, for example, mm. they're, with Panache, it's much easier to see if he loses confidence, which actually for a dog trainer is easier feedback to take because mm. you can physically see it. Yeah. Um, whereas with Zest, it's more masked in chaos. Okay. Um, because she'll go and, oh, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? Do you yeah. want this? Yeah. Take this. Yeah. Take this. But that still is a lack of confidence in the dog just now, like, extinction bursting. Yes. They're like, hey, mm. you don't want this one. I'm going to do that, 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 that. Yeah. And if you keep doing it, they're going to get more frantic and they're going to do that until they just get to the point where they just lie there and go, Pfft. I give up. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. And I'm like, I don't want to get to that stage. With yeah. My yeah, that's true. That's very true. It was interesting what you said um, about Zest sort of peaking mentally, if that makes sense. When... Yeah. Do you think, is there a certain age you reckon dogs sort of peak physically and then mentally, if that makes sense? Or is it yeah, completely dependent? I think it's a really interesting discussion topic because I think people, experienced people, mm. um, obviously aren't, so as a handler, although I have learning to do with every dog, yeah. I already understand how to do a front cross. So that does differ yeah. massively, you know, with Zest and Panache, my front crosses look different because... Yeah. They are very different creatures, even yes. though they're the same mm-hmm. breed. 
um, their build and how they move is very, very different. And yeah. the time in which they need the information is very mm-hmm. different. Um, so, yeah, I think they've got a physical peak. And, well, you know, normally I would say, well, you know, a dog peaks physically if you're doing all the conditioning work and things mm-hmm. uh, about three, mm-hmm. four. But, you know, yeah. Panache is three now. Yeah. But because of this nutrition thing that we hadn't figured out, yes. actually yeah. he's likely to reach his physical peak around four and a half, five. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's true. Boys, I think, and um, there's no, no scientific backup for this, by mm-hmm. the way, um, I think boys peak later yeah. um, than girls physically, mm-hmm. um, which, of course, is the flip reverse to humans because human physical peak for men is supposedly around 20, mm. 19, 20, whereas for women it's about 30. Yeah, um, yeah. But, like, for me, for example, I'm, I'm a lot fitter now. I'm 30 than when I was 20, mm. and I think I'll be a lot fitter at 40 yeah, yeah. than I am now at 30. Mm. So I think it depends on how you load your schedule as well. Yeah, that's I think true. a real sweet spot for a dog is where those two cross over. Yeah. So the mental peak, so them understanding and having the experience to read courses, to read me, mm-hmm. it's at that stage where you think, can this dog read my mind? Yeah. And really, yeah. actually, it's just the slight shoulder tweaks and they've just become very tuned into you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the point where those two cross, so your physical peak, you know, their, their physical peak is going to come before their mental peak in yeah. 90% mm-hmm. of cases, I would say, is, you know, goes up and then it's tailing off inevitably because age. Um, and then their experience peak is doing this, and at the point where those two cross yeah. meet is your sweet spot. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So I think zest is kind of mine tend to peak later because they don't rush them. Yes. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not in any rush with my dogs. Zest um, Zoom, my previous dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was a Kelpie around a medium. Um, she retired at Crufts at 12 years old. Oh wow. Yeah. So, you know, at 12, she still had qualified for crafts. Yeah. She was running there. She was doing really well. Mm. And she retired absolutely physically sound. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. She passed away of a, a kidney issue and was still physically sound at that point. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I love that. I love that for my dogs to for them to live a really long, happy retirement. Yeah. They're still mm-hmm. extremely physically sound. Yeah. And I think they can if you're sensible with them and I wait. So I, I sacrifice, I don't, you know, I don't tend to do obstacles with my dogs very early. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm going to wait even longer with my next dog, actually. I've, I've kind of made that call already. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to bring them out at, at 18 months doing oh, okay. agility forces. Mm. I, I've made that decision. Yeah. Um, you know, because I think that sacrifice of a year or six months at the beginning of their career, I think can give them one or two years minimum at Mm. the end of their career Um, yeah and that's certainly what I've observed in my dogs and that's not again there's no scientific studies out of that that's just anecdotal stuff that Mm -hmm. I think I've seen in other dogs so yeah yeah, that's that's just my personal opinion on it so when people are like oh you know my three-year-old's doing this I'm like okay yeah, you know, I'm happy when my ten-year-old is still going out and being competitive. Yeah, no, that's it. Success because of her, her eyes. Yeah, um, you know they're they're sort of a ticking time bomb, bless her. Yeah, um, but she's doing well with it. So while she's still happy and she's not doing herself a mischief mm. or anything, um, I'm, I'm happy for her to yeah. keep going. What is it with her eyes again? 
Um, so I think, well, there's there's two things. One okay. of which I know, yeah, and one of which I suspect, and everything I suspect supports this. So she, oh, okay, uh, in her brown eyes, so she has different coloured eyes, which is oh. absolutely nothing to do with this, okay. by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so in her brown eye, at some point um, during her earlier years, she's had some issues with the ligaments uh, oh, that okay. cause the pupil dilation. So you know, at some point, maybe she's run into something. Yeah, you know, what, mm-hmm. what a collie puppies are like. Yes. Um, <laughs> or you know young dogs and she was a particularly nuts one yeah um and there's been some damage to the ligaments around the eyes so mm-hmm. the pupil doesn't dilate in her brown eye as fast oh, as in okay. her blue eye mm-hmm. so for example if she were to come out of a dark tunnel into bright sunlight mm-hmm. um then this pupil would not dilate as quickly as the other so that i know i've been to a um i've been to a um ophthalmologist an ophthalmologist Something like that, yeah. Eye yeah. specialist. Optician for dogs. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Optician for dogs. Let's yeah. go with that. Um, and, yeah, so um, I've had that confirmed. Now, mm-hmm. I could go and have a depth perception eye test done. So this isn't like the normal, um, you know, are the dog's eyes healthy? I know they were because I took her and had her eye tested when I picked her up. Yeah. Um, and so all her eye health mm-hmm. is perfect. Okay. Um, but her, my suspicion is her early takeoff, where she, she peaks miles before the jump. Mm. Um, if she jumped properly, oh my god, she would be insane. Yeah. Um, absolutely insanely quick. Mm. Um, but yeah, so she overjumps pretty much everything because she perceives, in my opinion, she perceives the jump to be closer than it is. So oh. she peaks like a meter before the jump. Oh, she thinks see. the jump is a meter closer because I think her depth perception is off. Oh, um, makes, yeah, I don't makes think sense. she can judge it properly, which is why sometimes she gets some quite high contact hits. Because mm. I think she thinks the ground is closer than it is when she's coming oh, down. Okay. Yeah. And I have quite a few dogs that I've seen, and it's my theory has always been supported by everything that I've seen. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that her eyes are right and i say that because i i know with a reasonable volume of certainty that she is absolutely physically sound yeah mm-hmm. um she has been checked by so many people who are absolute experts in their field yeah that i'm pretty confident mm. in the fact that she is very, yeah yeah very sound. yeah 100 so oh, that's interesting yeah, that's that's what i'm dealing with and yeah you know, there's it makes my handling options sometimes have to be quite different to other people's yeah uh, but yeah, i'm no, working with it yeah well if it works for you <laughs> each their own isn't it <laughs> yeah but it was it was interesting as well um when you said about the poll was it yesterday uh the poll was yes. that to do with you think that's to do with her depth perception yeah, she thought the po- the job was closer the reason because people a lot of people have said to me you know they've come to up to me and said my dog does what your dog does and i've gone okay have you really ticked every physical box yeah if not i don't want to I don't want to give you this advice without being absolutely certain mm. that always feels the sound. And I don't just mean, oh, you know, I've been to the vet and the vet said, like, you're standing yeah. sort of vet. The vet said they were fine. Mm. What I mean is, you know, have you been to somewhere like Ark in Huddersfield or Smart Clinic? Yeah, specialist. Experts in their mm. field and had them checked properly yeah um, and kind of when they go yeah do you know i've done that i've had them to both places um you know they're checked i've had them mri mm-hmm. um, i've had all the things checked there was absolutely nothing physically wrong with this dog yeah i'm like right okay so my belief is and this is a more recent um sort of belief and it's an absolute theory by the way there's there is yeah no back of this the reason why i think that she does better than 
a few other dogs with early takeoff. And by mm-hmm. the way, Stephanie Best's fate has this as well. Okay, um, yeah. If you watch, um, well, I was watching her run yesterday and Steph hates finish straights with fate. Oh, okay. Um, she hates finish straights with fate because fate starts to stutter, comes into the jump, goes, do, 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 oh, take off. Like a little measure. And again, yeah. it's not physical. Um, oh, okay. Whereas Zest just throws herself at it. Okay, she, yeah. It's like she just goes, F it, I'm going to just take off anyway. Oh, uh, um, okay, yeah. So she comes in and then she'll just take off. Mm. Um, and I think actually she's guessing, based off previous experience, how close the jump is. I'm not convinced oh, okay. she actually knows. Yeah. I think she's making a reasonable guesswork mm. based off of reinforcement. Because when I see other dogs, my dad's dog, Icon, for example, he's retired him um, because he he had the same issue and also is slightly related so okay yeah um yeah the that kind of he's retired him he has a similar thing but i think because zest is absolutely wild Mm. like she is nuts yeah um and i think that actually helps her here because she doesn't tend to overthink it as much yeah true i think those calmer dogs or those sort of nicer dogs i Mm. think they're not willing to just throw themselves at it. It's like Zest is an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, yeah. Like, start it, I'm just going to throw myself yeah. at it. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's part of the reason why she manages to work through it and other dogs don't yes. as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's a bit of a blessing and curse. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, Arrow knocked quite a lot of poles. Do you know what I mean? And it's you don't want to sort of sit there and think, oh, he's probably got this problem and this problem and this problem. Do you know what I mean? It could be... And you just think it kind of could be anything. Do you know what I mean? Whether it's a physical thing or just the fact that he, he jumps low and tight or I think there was a dog um, I heard of that had, like, a, a problem with its sort of lower spine tail and it was causing it to knock poles as well. Mm. Or it could just be, like I said just what it is just a pole do you know what I mean it's it's quite hard yeah. you can you can kind of go too far into it do you know what I mean as well it's really hard you I think you sign up all the physical and then you're left with training yeah yeah that's it <laughs> basically yeah so for I'm going off on such a tangent here but like again so proprioception for poles and like I think grid work as well you can do for poles can't you I suppose if it's a training issue mm-hmm. Uh, pros and cons yeah pros and cons i i like a bit of grid work but grid work i think is more like gym work yeah um, yeah that's true for me i feel like it works the muscles more than it works the brain yeah yeah if that that's makes true sense. yes no, um, it's more physical yeah, yeah so like i i sort of threw myself into this mm. um because with Zess, I wanted to get everything right. She was like my first agility dog yeah. was mine to mm-hmm. train from scratch exactly how I wanted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's always been input from other handlers or trainers with um, previous dogs that I'd run. Yeah. Um, so I went through the entire Susan Salo grid book, start mm-hmm. to finish, and okay. perfected every single grid in that book with Zest. Yep. Now, you wouldn't think it looking at her jumping, uh, right? Oh, yeah. I suppose. Well, yeah. So with... So with Panache, I went, do you know what? I'm going to go the absolute flip reverse. I'm not going to do any grids. And this was a risky strategy. I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. Um, I'm not going to do any grids with him Mm -hmm. at all, apart from the very occasional bit, you know, if you've got to train the seminar, we can do a bounce grid. I'm like, yeah, okay. Um, So I didn't really expose him to any grids apart from that bit. And then there was a bit when I was doing my need for speed online course where mm-hmm. I felt the need to display to people how they could teach a dog to extend strike. So I yeah. used him as a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was interesting because he did all the grids perfectly. Oh, okay. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> First time. Yeah. Didn't need any help. And I do think there's a, I do think, you know, credit, credit to the breeders here. Yeah. Like Dave, I do think that they, um, they picked a Kraken stud dog for jumping. Um, yeah. And he, as well as him just being an awesome dog all around, mm. Hash, he, he has great jumping ability. Yes. Yeah, um, that's true. So I see grids as more of a, fixing tool than mm. a teaching tool yeah um you know it's either it's gym work because they need to build up the muscle or i see it as this dog doesn't seem to understand how to board plan yeah um, it just chucks itself at something and then thinks cross fingers hopefully yeah. um in which case you might need to do some kind of grid work for forward planning yeah mm-hmm. um or you know you might need to teach dog to be able to lead change in a single gap on a bounce well if the dog is struggling with that then that's useful but if you've got a good trainer who can spot that early yeah then i think grids can be a powerful tool but i don't now use them as part of certainly not the horse grids which is basically what they are yeah um, yeah a lot of the the job grid stuff comes from horses but i'm doing some stuff with martina Klimsova mm-hmm. um with ter- tight turning and now i think that they are valuable yeah, um, those they're sort of grids, sort of not grids. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I really rate that course. Um, I've done quite a lot of learning on that course, and that's been really useful to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's very dog specific. Because when was the last time you saw a horse wing wrap or do a backside slice? That's very true. <laughs> oh god. Because yeah, because you're not going to fix those problems with grids because they don't exist in horses, and a lot of the stuff that we're doing comes across from horses. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. So do you prepare for every event differently depending on its importance to you? So are there any events that you find, well, I suppose international events are sort of top of that list, but, you know, is your prep the same for every sort of event you do or does it it vary? So I think you have to decide on priorities. And I think this is people who haven't necessarily gone oh, well, this year, actually, I'm, you know, I'm at Crufts, I'm at the Agility Stakes, I'm going to WAO, I'm going Mm. to um, EOs, I'm going to AWC. And you're like, you cannot possibly peak at every single one of those events. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Ask any kind of sports science person, and Mm. they're going to tell you no. Yeah. You absolutely cannot peak for all of those events. Mm. So you you have to prioritize. And this yeah. is, I think there was, I think you sent me the questions in advance. I think there was a question about um, whether I felt underprepared for some events. Yes, that's one of them at the end, yeah. So maybe it's two questions in one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because inevitably I will be underprepared for some events because I'm prioritizing which events. So I guess this year, um, did I prepare for the stakes? Um, quarters well I did two training sessions mm-hmm. I, I don't think that counts as preparation that's like last minute crap yeah 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 that's true yeah. Mm. Um, so I, that, it doesn't really count for me as preparation and all I was doing was exposing them to some six foot poles and some big wings just to be like hey these can this be is what's going to gonna be there yeah yeah do I think that it contributed to Zest having the pole down on the finish straight which inevitably will be some people's questions no yeah <laughs> yeah no I mm. don't I think look only stretches so far, especially with a dog that jumps like Zest, and she's qualified for the Agility Stakes or previous Olympia every year since she began competing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's like six years. In, yeah. At some point, your luck is going to run out. Yeah. Like that's a lot of years. Tap a bar and, yeah. You know, exactly. I can be as skillful as I want, but let's face it, I can stumble and make a whoopsie, and so can she. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. 
so yeah i've really prioritized my international stuff this year mm-hmm. so um and it shows because like zest for example who i've who i've been preparing all these international events for mm-hmm. she hasn't qualified for cross this year oh okay and she's unlikely to so she's not won a ticket she oh, yeah. hasn't got enough cross singles points mm-hmm. she hasn't but she's not going to the stakes mm-hmm. so nationally i guess you would say this year was an absolute disaster um, but you prioritize international but she, you know, she got some of the absolute best statistics at the GB tryout weekend. Mm. She won the world's win on. She went yeah. to CSJ and she got the super win on for the England team the following year. Mm. She went to European Open and delivered two clears for team. She got through to the individual final. She was delivering amazing times. So yeah. you can't do I it all, I suppose. prepared mm. for those. And so I've specifically got results in those areas. Yes, yeah. Because I haven't done a single training, well, apart from the two I did for the stakes. Mm. Um, and that's just because of the size of the wings. Yeah. And I don't want my dogs to damage themselves jumping something that they haven't jumped in 12 months. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, or panache ever. Mm. Um, it, it's purely a preservation tool, basically. Yeah. I haven't done a single training session based off on something I think will come up on national skills. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Clearly that showed. Yeah. Where do you get those big wings from for training? <laughs> I have, uh, do you know what? Mine are just the absolute most rubbish thing. <laughs> it's literally a piece of, it's a piece of mine. Okay. Yeah. Some people have some really nice wings. I don't. And I've become a bit superstitious about these because yeah. I've qualified for the States every year since I've had them. Panache has qualified this oh, year. Oh, okay. So I'm, st- I'm still keeping them. They're going to yeah. end up dying at Point. but they're literally some six foot pieces of pipe oh okay yeah and all i did was got some corrugated plastic stuff you know like the stuff they make really sort of temporary signs out of yeah yeah that's and a great idea them to the right size and i zip tie them to my normal jump wings nice improvise um, yeah that is effective and it works it yeah it doesn't always need to be really complicated see <laughs> no it doesn't need to be complicated it doesn't need to be really expensive and yeah. they're literally just zip tied them to my jump wings so yeah. my students will come in and they're like what are those? Because <laughs> I used to see like all the really nice matching yeah. kits. It makes but, sense though, doesn't it? Because you think if they see that in front of them, you know, they're, then they're probably going to think twice. Do you know what I mean? Or most dogs will probably it think twice. It's like the jumpers being scaled up by a third. Yeah. Probably a bit intimidated. Yeah. But that's going to yeah. muck up dogs' um, perception. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. like, you know, like when we look at some of those clever illusions, um, the dog's going to be like, what? Well, do I need to take off? Because like, the jump is... Yeah, they probably think it's closer or something. Yeah, it's bizarre. So how uh, do you incorporate climate training into your preparation for overseas events? So guessing this is like training in really hot weather, really Uh whatever you're going to experience in that country. I mean, you can't say, oh, it's definitely going to be this weather when I go. But generally, do you try and acclimatize to sort of running in, in really hot weather or stuff like that? Yeah, I definitely yeah. do. I don't need to do it for worlds um, because, you know, it's indoors. I believe the arena has some kind of climate control in there. So yeah. I'm anticipating it's going to be a reasonably good temperature to run in. Yeah. Um, it's less of an issue as well at uh, the WAO because it's in May. Mm-hmm. So the climate conditions, it has been hot there. It has been torrential, but it's almost quite Britishy. Um but like the European Open, yeah. it, it wasn't this year in Denmark. Mm. But when I last went, which was in, it was pre-COVID, it was the year before COVID. Yeah. It was the hottest day on record in Holland. Oh, was that it when was they that did it year. at night? 
when they had to split yeah. the thing so that we were resting during the day. So, like, yeah. there's a video of me running as the sun's coming up. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah. And then they did it and when the sun was, was going down. <laughs> and that was an absolute nightmare because yeah. they didn't have enough floodlights. Now imagine you've got this eye issues to Oh, God, with. yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was really hot and everyone was sleep deprived. And we've yeah. already talk, talked about how important sleep is. Yeah. Um, and that was a disaster event for me. Yeah. Um, because the odds are against you, I suppose, in that in that circumstance. Well, the odds were hugely stacked against me. The sand surface was diabolical. Oh, okay. It yeah. would just if the heat was drying it out, mm. it wasn't wet down. It was like running on a beach. Oh god. Like a really beach. It was like all of the worst conditions that you could imagine yeah. to run in. Extreme heat, extreme raw, angry yeah. wasps. Mm. Um there's the sand is like running on sand dunes, there's not enough lighting. Um, you you've got no sleep. Yeah, people are getting sunstroke. No dogs, by the way. Yeah, um, just all the, the dogs on the team were absolutely fine. Looked after by the team vet yeah. amazingly. Um, our, our team captain got the heat stroke. Oh really? The sunstroke, oh, wow. one of the two. Yeah. Um, but all the dogs were absolutely fine. But yeah, I do try. Um, so before EO, particularly, mm-hmm. I will do some training in heat. Yeah. Um, because I think it's important. And it is literally short exposure. I think the yeah. mistake people make is if you're going to go and compete in heat, mm-hmm. you're going to do your warm-up differently. You're not going to spend 15 minutes jogging your dog around no, in the yeah. sun, okay? Mm-hmm. You're going to use more effleurage. You're going to use more mm-hmm. massage so that they're not cardio-stressed yeah. um, when they come into the line. Mm-hmm. Because we, we don't want to obviously have done that because that's going to overheat them. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but you can... Um, you can get the dog all ready and everything mm-hmm. in a cooler environment, you know, in shade, whatever. So I have an, I have an outdoor school that I teach at, a mm-hmm. uh, big outdoor school, and there's a concrete building next to it. And it's always quite cool in that concrete building. Yeah. So, you know, I'll have them in there, I'll warm them up, and then once they're warmed up, I bring them out, I do the run, mm-hmm. and if something goes wrong and it's hot, we do not redo that. Okay, yeah. We finish, yeah. we go straight back in. Yeah. And if I then want to go back out, I'm going to wait till they're displaying to me they're recovered, you know, the pantheon has calmed and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll bring them out. I'll do that maybe three obstacle bits to do that skill, mm-hmm. session done. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. I, I don't need to do the length of a training session. If it's hot, my dog just needs to come out. They need to do that one run and they need to go away again. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, you're not going to be there, out there for like an hour. Do you know what I mean? It's 30 seconds, no, isn't it? I yeah. Think it, I think that's, I think that's the difference, and I think that's what people miss. Because mm. when they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you see it all over Facebook, don't you? Like, yes. the guilt trip is real. Yeah, um, when very like, real. You can't go out and walk your dogs when it's 20 degrees. And yeah. Like, and whilst I agree, if it's 30 degrees, I'm not going to be taking my dogs for a long dog No, walk. no, yeah. Like, that's not happening. I would mm-hmm. not walk them around the streets for even 20 minutes. Like, no. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because... That's silly. They're yeah, there's no point. Extreme. The surface is likely hot underfoot. Mm-hmm. They've not got shade. They've not got water. Mm-hmm. Like, when I go to the rings, if it's a hot day, um, you know, I've got an umbrella for shade for my dogs. Yeah. I've got rehydration drinks in there mm-hmm. for them. I um, generally am also carrying um, some instant ice packs just yeah. in case I need the instant ice packs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've got all the stuff in there. I've got a wet towel in there. Mm. So that, and then they come out, I can cool them down yeah. quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the shade. So as soon as they've run, bang, shade, water, cold towel under their belly. If I think they need it, I can ice pack their feet. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a hugely different matter to taking your dog out for 15 minutes for a trudge around the streets in the yeah. making heat. Yeah. Like that's yeah. not 
that's not the same thing. Yeah, but yeah. Well, and I, I do it with me as well. I make sure that, like, if it's uncomfortable and sweaty, um, I go to the gym. Right. Yeah, yeah. Gym is horrible. Let's mm-hmm. go to the gym. Yeah, so it's um, nice and cool so in that. I get used to it. I don't <laughs> want what I had happen at the European Open where I was fatiguing mm. that, that year with the sand and the lights and the heat. Yeah. I don't want to be fatiguing. All my eliminations were in the last three to four obstacles. Now that tells oh, me that's okay. not a skills issue. No, that's, yeah, you're just getting tired that's earlier. A, that's me maintaining physical and mental strength through that amount of obstacles yeah. and that my body just wasn't ready for that or my mind or probably yeah. a combination of the two mm-hmm. so, so yeah. you just acclimatize so I yeah. try and make sure I get uncomfortable if yeah. I can in my training yeah for me yeah I suppose it's easier as well with yourself because you can you know how you feel and you know when it's too it's much or not whereas with the dog and a lot of dogs would probably run themselves into the ground on a hot day do you know what I mean and not even bat an eyelid do you know what I mean and it's bad for them yeah, so yes, you've got to kind of make that decision good. yeah yeah I definitely think Arrow would but my terrier's were very sensible like they they come in as soon as they got too warm but arrow he'd stay out there and run run about until he he dropped dead but so you know you've got to make that decision for him i guess but like when people on uh, agility net sort of say oh you know you shouldn't have taken your dog to the show when it's hot do you know what i mean you know if your dog's fine with it and you've got all those like you just said all those kind of tools to to keep them cool and it's just 30 seconds and then you've got all the things to keep them at a good temperature that's fine do you know what i mean like it's not that's actually better yeah. than, like I said, walking them at home or, or anything like that. I think particularly with international competitions, I think you're damned if you do and I think you're damned if you don't. Uh, yeah, exactly. The international teams take a lot of stick, mm. particularly the GB team. And boy, do I feel for the managers of any of these teams. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. They cannot win. And, mm. I, you know, I'm not saying I agree with every call every team manager's ever made. Um you know, wouldn't it be a boring world if we did? What would True. we all discuss yeah. on weekend? Agility never um, be dead. But I think, yeah, I just think they take a lot of stick for it. But mm. if we went out there and, you know, half of the GB team said at the European Open, oh, I'm sorry, it's too hot for us to run our dogs today. Mm. Like, there'd be some people on Facebook that would be like, oh, it's so good that they're prioritizing, da 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 You know, meanwhile, the dogs are in the vans going, let's do it. Yeah. Um, and then there'd be half of them saying, I can't believe they went out there and didn't run it. I would have gone and run my dogs. Can't believe we've not yeah, fielded the exactly. right team. Yeah, like, that's you, true. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you mm. don't. And I think people should probably just shut up and make decisions yeah. for their own dogs. Yeah, I um, agree. And, you know, if it's it, in the agility world, I don't think it's necessarily a lack of education mm. of people knowing about, um, you know, but there's lots of people who've seen the posters about it being hot or whatever. Um, I think it's more to do with, yeah, someone knowing that their dog won't cope with that heat. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. they will project that yeah. onto everyone else. It yeah. would be like mm-hmm. me saying, I can't believe everyone's pulling out of these agility competitions because my dog can cope with running in 32 degrees yeah. um, mm. for 30 seconds. So everyone should be running their dog in 32 degree heat for 30 yeah. seconds mm-hmm. like but that's ridiculous because yeah. you know it's very different mm-hmm. if someone's running you know even if it was a dog from the same litter mm. it might not be the same or have the same life experiences and i just yeah. think we need to stop projecting yeah. and just 
shut up and do yeah. your own thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like when I was judging in quite on a quite hot day uh, the other week. It's interesting, you know, some people brought their dogs in, they were fine. Do you know what I mean? Some people, a, mo- a lot of people pulled out, you know, where it got near a midday. Some people came yeah. in, did the first two obstacles, realised the dog was not having a good time and took them out. Do you know what I mean? So no, absolutely yeah. no one was the same. No dog reacted the same from what I yeah. saw. So it is interesting. Mm. So how much uh, we can't we've mostly touched on this but to sum up how much of your event preparation is physical so the course running massage stuff like that and how yeah. much is mental so course analysis uh, visualizations on here as well etc yeah so if you say give each sort of a percentage w- would you say more is physical or mental or are they kind of even just to kind of sum up what we were saying earlier because i know we've already kind yeah, of covered so it i think now as i'm more as I'm getting more experience mm. um, at running these sort of international events, I mean, obviously yeah. it'll be my first time at World, mm-hmm. but I'm anticipating um, a, a kind of what I'm, I guess what I'm anticipating, what I've envisioned and visualized in yeah. my head to get mm-hmm. the closest I can to what I think the level of pressure and atmosphere is going to be like, yeah. is I think it's going to be like the European Open team final. Okay. like pressure mm-hmm. wise um because that's obviously you know you've been working with the same team of people yeah. they're a cracking mm-hmm. team um i love working with them also uh dalton you and stephen Richardson and me yeah um and they're a cracking team to work mm-hmm. with actually um it's been really good but um i i think when i'm i'm going into i'm envisioning that kind of pressure mm-hmm. i'm envisioning the sort of kind of the Olympia sort of atmosphere, the Olympia Agility Stakes sort of atmosphere, Mm -hmm. but it's going to be a more educated crowd because they're all agility people. So I think they're going to be a lot more with you. It's not going to be like, you know, because my weave queue used to be like a high pitch like and I can't do it now because I've been because I teach too much. Yeah, um, yeah. So now my voice won't make like the high pitch like what? Oh, okay, yeah. I used to do because I had to change it to weavies. Mm. Um, But uh, when I used to do that, like you would get giggles in the crowd, like that yeah. doesn't. Cuffs as well is like that, when isn't you're it? With a group of educated yeah. people, yeah, um, because they know that you're trying to use sounds to help your dog differentiate yeah. between obstacles. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what I've envisioned in terms of atmosphere um, at the event. But as I'm more experienced, so I can draw on all those experiences to try and put those ideas together for what I anticipate that event's going to be like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm maybe doing more visualization for this event than I did for European Open because I kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah. So again, like event I've been dependent. To European Open four. This was my third time there, mm-hmm. so I sort of knew what I was stepping into. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I think when you're less experienced, for example, if I was giving advice to someone who was going out to their first international event, yeah. then I would be doing massively more mental prep. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think you need to do work on being able to calm yourself down. Yes, yeah, being definitely. Being able to become relaxed and focused. Mm. Um, whereas that sort of stuff I've honed and I can get myself to a state where I can most of the time I can get myself to a state where I can step the line in a calm focused flow state yeah um mm-hmm. whereas I think developing that skill you may have developed that skill in at a normal competition at your local comps but have you then developed that if you're going to step on the line in a champ final or yeah whatever yeah. that might then be something that needs honing more if you're less experienced at that but I think the more yeah, exposed definitely. you get to those pressure runs mm-hmm. the easier it becomes to drop yourself into that 
pressure flow mindset where you can you can do it so it's less mental focused um this time more than it was for european open but less than it has been previously yeah definitely um so yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at so yeah in terms of mental Mm. and physical it's it's mostly physical i think the the judging analysis stuff i'm sure i think that bridges between the two actually because you should have done your judges analysis quite early mm. so you know your skill sets because yeah. your skill sets should then and then you train them. a part of your training plan mm. so you have the skills before you go try and run the skills yes yeah. i like, don't do it backwards yeah run the courses unless you're unless you think your dog can do all the skills then you run mm-hmm. the courses and you go oh my god but like that should fall into that month yeah three. so they go hand in hand really don't they yeah so yeah, that makes it, sense that kind of is halfway between the mental and the yeah. physical side of things, I think. But even saying that, like, I remember when I first, say, started doing agility when I was, like, what, 11, 12, whatever, you know, the little show, that I, the shows that I now class as sort of little shows that I'll go to sort of more train arrow at, you know, yeah. meant the world and stressed me out and stuff like that. But then the more experience you get, like, going abroad and stuff like that, then, you know, that is more stressful and then the little shows are less stressful. So it is often an experience thing, definitely. Yeah, I think because mm. a lot of people now I'm hearing like you know if they go into like Iconics or something they start yeah. with, oh my god yeah but actually like for me Iconics is a super relaxed show and I love yeah. it. it's one of the it's one yeah. of the best environments because I know yeah, that the I judges mm. uh, are going to be really nice because mm-hmm. generally most of them are dog trainers themselves yes. so mm-hmm. if you need to go back and do a little bit like I don't have to get stressed about that yeah because I'm definitely not lose my criteria mm. in the ring. Um, so actually they're some of the most relaxed events for me mm-hmm. but some of the um, like some of the uh, you know so they're kind of the easiest shows for me mentally I find it yeah. quite quite relaxing yeah um, no definitely but for some people I know like that's their big show of the year yeah because the courses are tough yeah um you know they're really fun and they're really motivating mm. the dogs and they're motivating for the handlers depending on mindset yeah but no definitely I think you know they can it just shows the difference doesn't mm. it yeah between sort of experience yes hugely there ain't no way to gain it other than doing it (laughs) yeah just doing the thing yeah definitely so this question we just touched on a little bit earlier have you ever failed to prepare for an event properly in the past and if so what were the consequences yeah i think well over europe could could we have prepared for the conditions at the european open and like so if i think about that one so Mm. just that I don't think I've I've historically done reasonably well at events like crafts. Uh, you know, we all make muck ups. Of course yeah. we do. Yeah. Um, like you know, everyone can have a bad year. Everyone can have a bad event. Um, I don't think I've always prepared my dogs for the surface. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think that's an important thing. So whichever surface you're preparing for, mm-hmm. like you know, people arrived yesterday at the agility stakes, and I heard some complaints about the surface, and I'm like, hold on, this exactly replicates the surface that we're almost exactly replicates the surface we're going to see at the finals. Yeah, yeah, like, true. The kennel club there have done a good job of finding a surface that replicates it. Mm. You know, when they've given us the same obstacles, like they're they're doing a good job of replicating what it is at the finals. Whether the conditions at the finals are the right conditions for an agility final is up for debate. Yeah, you know? like there's only so much that. they can do without actually holding it at the venue. Do you know what I mean? hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. But I think they're doing a really really good yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but whether they're the right conditions for a top level agility final is a whole different discussion. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, but. 
yeah, so I think preparing them for services is good. But mm-hmm. if I think back to that European Open and I think, okay, what would I do differently? Because I came back with a full set of eights. Yeah. Every run was an eight. Mm-hmm. Um, we even got through to the team final. My teamies, bless them, uh, propped me up and, um, you know, they did good because three out of the four runs, cows of mine were discounted. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And when I think about that, I'm like, hey, what would I do differently? Mm. Well, would I run my dogs in really deep sand? in preparation for that probably event. not well <laughs> i might have done some sand dunes Maybe, sprints yeah with them. yeah yeah true. you know i could have done some sand dune sprints with them i could have gone sort of you know 30 40 minutes down the motorway and done yeah. some sand dune sprints with uh with zest but you know at that time actually she was really used to beaches yeah so yeah and you didn't know I, it was going to be like that i suppose either i could have trained in really uncomfortable conditions yeah and, you know i could have gone and i think actually that would have made the biggest difference yeah i think mm-hmm. physically i was less prepared than i could have been yeah um mm-hmm. but then the question was was i working on my physical stuff then at that time yeah i was yeah yeah. i was working really hard mm. on my physical stuff at that point yeah um but i was too early in the journey uh, okay. if i went back now to the mm-hmm. same event with the same dog like you know just take me not mm-hmm. me on the dog just take me and plant me in that event now yeah. and i think i'd be much better equipped because I yeah. don't think I'm going to cardio tire as quickly, but I can't snap my fingers in four months yeah. and get the gains I've had in years. Yeah, like no, that's, that's it. Yeah, not how gym stuff works. Yeah, it's just that natural works. progression, be, isn't it? It's got to be consistent efforts over yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, with four or six months' notice, mm. you know, I could have sleep deprived myself. Yeah. And then gone training in extreme yeah, heat. Yeah, I guess. You know, like 27 jumpers on, like these people do that go to, go <laughs> to these desert marathons. Oh, God, yeah. Um, Horrible. But, and the lights, well, I was training in areas that weren't necessarily brilliantly lit anyway. Mm. So I was already doing that. <sighs> yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Like, is there anything I could have done and I think it is the fitness thing and I don't really have any do I wish I'd have done better yes Mm. do I think I could have done better with four months notice maybe I could have sorted my food stuff out better so I didn't need to go hunting for food after the comp had finished your dinner like that maybe is that maybe is the learning point yeah but you know Mm -hmm. I didn't have access to that information or experience no no there's nothing like, really more you could have done world, i have a giant cool box and i don't think it will necessarily be needed but i'd rather have it yeah i have a huge plug-in cool box with mm-hmm. a freezer section and everything and i'm taking my air fryer with me oh perfect this, <laughs> was, this was this was shannon springford and her mom oh. and they were like oh yeah you know we take yeah that's fryer. a great idea i was like that is a freaking genius that idea. is yeah so off perfect. i went out for an air fryer because i thought you know if it's late at night now and i come back and the wao actually is one of the events for having later evenings and yeah early yeah mm-hmm. quite big days yeah um, great event the organization's mm. brilliant but long days yeah. Um, and I can just come back and just chuck some things in air fryer. I can even take the yeah, air fryer, yeah. put them into the fridge, ready with the stuff in. I get back, I chuck those in. I can prep all and my bags and stuff for the next day. And then yeah. food. Yeah, that's perfect. For food. Yeah, so yeah. May- maybe that's my learning. I, yeah, I don't maybe. Really, but a lot I of these like things, the, like, you wouldn't know until it happens. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, so, I don't like to ruminate about yeah. shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, no, um, exactly. Because I don't necessarily think that's helpful, particularly no, the word yeah. should. I try Definitely, and avoid yeah. that in life. Yeah, um, that's a good attitude. <laughs> so I think the word could is better. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
No, hundred so, yeah, percent. That that I guess is is where I'm at on that. There was there was plenty of learning done, but yeah. maybe not so much I could have done at the time. No, that was just kind of just a a bad circumstance, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly sleep and mental preparation. Yeah, yeah. I think the times I've had regrets have been when I haven't had enough sleep. Yes. Or I haven't, and this tends to be more national stuff. I haven't had enough sleep or, you know, a champ final or something like that. I've not had enough sleep or enough rest mm-hmm. or I've been stressed. Yes. Yeah. Like that's I've been a big stressed. One. I haven't properly allowed myself to sort of calm down. I've maybe given myself a stressful week before. Yeah. yeah. Like that's a really, really bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So that's, mm. that's when I tend to have regrets is if I do something silly like that. Yeah, yeah. So what is your advice for overcoming nerves and the sense of pressure during the build-up to an event? So again, I guess this is something you get used to, sort of dealing with nerves and, you know, at the more events you do. But is there anything that you kind of do to, to help yourself not feel nervous or not feel the pressure as such? Obviously, there's always going to be some, but... I think people, I was speaking to one of my friends, actually, and mm. um, we, we were having a discussion about the word calm. Um, so okay. she also does agility, um, mm-hmm. but she uh, she's a really good friend of mine, but she is also um, a psychologist. Oh, right. Um, okay. So she's a lecturer in psychology. So, oh, we wow. were, we, so we have some pretty interesting discussions, yeah. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would do, and she said when you step to the line sometimes you just look calm she's like you're the person i think about yeah when I, people say calm and i'm like okay mm. that's interesting because that's not necessarily how i feel internally yeah um, yeah but i think it, do i get nervous 100 mm-hmm. percent. do i feel pressure absolutely yeah oh mm-hmm. my god especially in team runs yeah team runs so they're horrible much worse yeah. than individual runs <laughs> mm-hmm. because you've got three other people's um you know hopes and dreams resting on part of your result yeah as well. yeah um, no, so i think dealing with that pressure is way worse than like stepping on the line like the the biggest pressure run the biggest pressure run I did this year, actually, and it was like almost a stomach-inducing throwing up feeling. Yeah. Like before I ran, it was this was to do with the the WAO win-off spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so at CSJ. Mm-hmm. And now by the time we'd got to day four, there were only two people left in the running for this win-off spot. Oh, uh, okay. Me and mm. my dad. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. Of course. So the points that so you you get allocated points for coming top eight in events basically. Yeah. So by this point we knew that there weren't any other people who mm. were in who could get that win on spot. It was uh, either me or him. So we started uh, the Sunday, me or him. Yeah. Um he had the pentathlon to run, he point scored in that pentathlon, he was like two points ahead of me. And we're like, okay, well this could then go either way. Mm. So, you know, the final course sets up, it's like both me and him have a running dog walk and a stop dog walk. Oh, okay. He's drawn the earlier running order because mm-hmm. of what happened in the previous runs. Yeah. I'm like, right, okay, I have the tactical advantage here. Yeah. Um, which is useful because mm-hmm. often I get questions where, you know, like, how do you cope with you and your dad competing against Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I never thought of that. Quite often, our dogs are very similar speed, mm. um, actually. And, you know, like yesterday, if Zest hadn't had the pole down, they would have been within the same sort of half a second of each yeah. other. And wow, this is pretty yeah. normal. Yeah, for yeah, our that's dogs true. to come within sort of half a second of each other. Awesome. And so he ran first, um, 
and had a pole down. But before yeah. that run, I just needed to be calm because I didn't know at that point. I needed to wait to see what he did. Yeah, to see yeah. whether I was going to do my running dog walk, my stop dog walk, to see whether I needed to push or not push yeah. or just chill out mm-hmm. and sit back. I only had to come top five. There's only nine in the final. Oh, okay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was a pretty tricky course. Yeah. Half the people are probably going to get eed or faulted mm-hmm. at least. Um, I was like, right, okay. Um, and sort of Anthony Clark, who manages the England team, sort of I went and found myself a quiet spot and sat in the stairs just doing breathing exercises, just breathing yeah, yeah. exercises because mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I don't, it's hard when it's your family because yeah. he's my dad. Yeah. But when I step on that start line, I quite frankly don't care if you're my best friend, worst enemy. Yeah. Same treatment. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and you kind of do that. Yeah. It, it, and I think this is, it, it's got to be that, whether yeah. it's your partner or whether it's your, mm. you know, family members, it, it's got to be the same treatment, otherwise you're going to lose yourself. Yeah. It. And there's um, a lot of couples in agility as well. So I suppose they've got what? to do that a lot as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so, and it was that, but that was like seriously vomit inducing. Yeah. And then when, I, when, when I'm on the line, I've seen he has the pole, I'm like, right, I just need to deliver a clear. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. It does not need to be fast. It does not need to be supersonic. It does not need to be anything apart from clear. And they yeah. are the worst runs for pressure yeah i would mm-hmm. rather do a run where i know like when's s1 craft yeah there were two cracking runs tasha put in a cracking run mm-hmm. um i think someone else a steph and fate had put in a cracking run yeah and i was like go for this it this is gonna have to be the run of my freaking life yeah mm-hmm. like the run of my life or it's not enough yeah and yeah. i love those runs yeah because i don't yeah. feel pressure mm. yeah you can just go for it because I know it's got to be all or nothing. Yeah. Like, I don't need to hold back. Whereas mm. those runs where I have to run clear, oh, oh God, yeah. like, they the are The whole way so around is just, worse. yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It gives you so much room to overthink things. Yeah, which is a bit like so teams, I suppose, as well. You're going for that clear, do you know what I mean? Whereas individual, most of the time, you're probably like, well, kind of also need to be quick, so... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's breathing, it's being able to calm yourself. Yeah. Headspace. But I don't feel like people embrace nerves. I mm. feel like people see people who work with nerves and presume they don't have nerves. Yeah, but they just um, use them to their advantage. Yeah, mm. like, do I do I need nervous wheels? We kind of spoke about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 100%. <laughs> but, like, when I'm when I'm at the stage where I'm like, I need a nervous wheel, and then it's like, actually, do I? I, I went to the bathroom 10 minutes ago. Yeah, every I probably time. probably don't. Mm-hmm. My body's just, like, priming itself. But it's going to make Adrenaline, all that isn't it? That, mm. that little bit hotter. Like, yeah. I'm going to be a bit quicker on all the reactions. So yeah. I think you have to see the good sides to those nerves, whereas people, I feel like people who don't work with them see all the bad sides they feel yeah. the nausea they feel the increased mm. heart rate and they're like i'm freaking out yeah. because they associate it with panic and anxiety mm. as opposed to a you know and linking it with things like you know you go on a nice date with someone and you get flutters well that's the yeah. same kind of feeling right but that's not yeah. a bad feeling yeah exactly like, yeah or you 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 know you you have a surprise birthday party and yeah, you know, it's yeah. that kind of feeling. Mm. Um, sort of reframing actually, it. Or, you know, someone's going to get married. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I am not married, but, you know, I anticipate that's the same kind of nervous feeling. Yeah, yeah. But, and I don't think people often work with it. Yeah. They try and work against it. And the mm. more you try and work against it, the more nervous you're going to get. Yeah. The more you embrace it and you're like, I'm nervous. 
this is good, this is going to help me, this is going to make all my senses work better. Yeah, and that's always the question, isn't it? It's, oh, how to sort of prevent nerves or stop getting nervous or do you know what I mean? But if you just accept yeah, that it's going to happen, yeah, yeah, that's so the true. Wrong question. How, yeah. how do we stop it is the wrong question. You how don't. <laughs> yeah. It's the right question. Yeah. And yeah. I think breathing, I think just a big mm. thing of breathing. I do square breathing, that mm-hmm. helps me. So that's like, you know, four, breathe in for four, hold the breath for four, out for four and then empty for four Mm. and that's that's really really useful because it tricks your body into thinking you are it was almost like a sleep breathing you know when you hear someone okay yeah and they're asleep and they're breathing and it all calms down almost like a meditation but not if that makes sense yeah yeah yeah. so I, i think that i think if there was one tip just flip and breathe yeah that's a good idea because that's <laughs> something you definitely need to smiles. do on course yeah <laughs> definitely and also as well something i've noticed like dry mouth is awful when you're doing agility because you go to tell your dog a command and it's like nothing because you dry so drink water yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah, horrible yeah, yeah. as well, well you know again with the, the chris curve thing it's like are you drinking enough and i'm like yeah probably not and now i think yeah. probably about two and a half liters a day two and a yeah. half three liters a day mm-hmm. um Again, probably so, something yeah. people don't think about how much water they're drinking, but quite important. Yeah, mm. a little bottle of water with you in your backpack. Or well, people will often see me wandering around with like a water bottle in my hand. Yeah, yeah, I, I do that. I, I always have one there. And I need to go and retrieve it later in the day. And people are like, who is it? And that's why I have yeah. to put my dogs on it because I often leave it in places. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Only problem with that is you need a wee every like 20 minutes, but <laughs> well, <laughs> worth so it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So what is the most important part of preparing your dog for an event? So not you, just your dog, in your opinion. So if you had to pick one of the, like, the, the most important part of prep for your dog, what would you choose if it had to be one? Hard question because everything's important, but... I think it's the physical side because I think you... I think you can have prepped brilliantly in terms of agility stuff, mm-hmm. but if your dog has a twingy niggle... Mm-hmm then, you know, you're, you're starting yeah. off on the wrong foot yeah, in definitely. that event. Whereas I think, you know, at least if your dog is physically fit and you're not quite in sync, then that's better. So I, I think for me, mm. it's making sure that my dog has, you know, they've had a massage, they've had a walk, they've had enough sleep. Yeah. So it's just those key priorities. Core, yeah. um, you know, have they had enough to drink? Mm. Um and it's just those core needs done really well for me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think without that, you're building on top of rocky sort of physical foundations yeah. mm. to ask your dog to work at their maximum capability. I think once you've got that, and man, thinking about it is maybe thinking about what I, what I see differently and the stuff that I do, because I always... I try and I look at people that I perceive as doing better than myself and I think, okay, so what are they doing better than I do? Mm. And then I also will compare downwards as well. So Mm. like I compare upwards, but I also compare downwards to people that I see are up and coming. And I'm like, you know, these people, they're cracking on with stuff. Mm. Like, you know, they're they're coming up through the rankings. I'm not sure I want to compete against them in a couple of years. And then I think, um, and then I'm thinking, but how would they take the step now to be at the same level that, that I'm at? Mm. And I think comparison sometimes can be really bad, but I think sometimes done sensibly, it can be really Yeah, it can good. help, yeah. Um, Make you realise what you need to do better, almost. Often mm. it's F all to do with what they do in in 
dog training it's to do with life like home life and things like that like Mm. you know can is your um dog chilled um in the crate is your dog um at home do they have reasonable manners Mm. is is your pack dynamic good in the house yeah and i think that all just comes back to being calm it's like i don't want a stressful week leading up to awc yeah Mm mm-hmm I don't want my dog to have a stressful week leading up to AWC either. So yeah, if I that's have true. very defined boundaries and things at home for my dogs of what they are and aren't allowed to do and, you know, it leads to a relaxed home life, a yeah. relaxed life in hotels. Yeah, um, no, that's true. Then I think that's that's much better. If they're going to start barking every time someone goes past the fucking hotel door, like, yeah, phew, yeah. it's not going to help them. No, and no sleep either. But it's yeah. like what you were saying earlier about sort of when dogs peak so like mentally at maybe older than they physically peak obviously again it depends because say arrow so he's nearly four now so he's probably peaking physically but mentally he's still like a baby because he was a covid puppy um and he's also had so many issues with nerves where you know he wouldn't run for ages so he's so behind mentally even though he's probably peaking physically do you know what I mean? So there's always that little yeah. bit of pressure there for me thinking, oh, he's peaking physically. Do you know what I mean? Like, I need to catch him up mentally sort of thing. But then half mm-hmm. the time, like you said, you know, the most important part of preparing a dog for an event, you know, you kind of think, well, they might not be the best at their, say, first event. Do you know what I mean? They, it might come yeah. in a few years just through experience in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. So as long as you've got their so physical much. sort of... If, as long as you're taking care of their physical well-being in that sense, then, you know, the mental should come with time and sort of training and stuff like that. So I guess yeah, if you've got that foundation. mental well-being is overlooked. Yeah, um, I yeah. think they, there's not enough things, you know, people taking their dogs on exactly the same walks sort of every single day. Yeah. And whilst they know this might be convenient and usefully habitual, mm. it's, I, I have sort of, or a fire and I don't live in an ideal area for this um, mm. you know I live near Preston Hospital like there's not exactly a yeah, range yeah. of dog walks on my doorstep mm. um, but you know I have like five or six walks and we'll we'll try and sort of cycle around them so the dogs get different sort of um, inputs and senses and they're, they're doing sniffing activities and stuff out of walks and mm. uh, you know there's a, there's an astounding amount of people in agility I think that don't walk their dogs yeah, like you yeah. know let them have sniffy time and things like that mm. and you know go to different places and, and walk them and you know for some people you know if you've got a reactive dog this is probably not going to yeah, be yeah. their mental well-being unless you go at like a crack of dawn or yeah, dusk yeah, that's time true. or whatever or find a really inconvenient time or mm. go when it's hammering down with rain um which all things that I used to do um when my um, ex-partner's dog lived with me yeah um so I do kind of know what that's like to try and do a enrichment walk with a dog that is reactive to both people and dogs. Oh, God, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I just think it's overlooked. Yeah. I just think people think they prioritise all the agility stuff without forgetting, actually, that if you're looking at highly successful um, people in life, then highly successful people generally have something on the side that they're doing the hobby they're generally looking after their well-being all that yeah. kind of stuff i keep seeing mm-hmm. the craig ogilvy um, oh, yeah. stuff and mm-hmm. he's kind of like majorly pushing that in order to be successful in business you need to actually look after yourself yeah first. yeah so definitely yeah for it and uh do you know what i'm so on board with that i see that and yeah. I, think I agree with you yeah it's just I that foundation so isn't it like if you sleep deprived if you're not eating properly if you're sad mm-hmm. then you're probably not going to do very good at your job either so 
I guess it's the same yeah. same with the agility. It's just, having, it's just having a sideline, I think. It's having something so that that doesn't become the be-all and end-all. And yes. I think that's hard yeah. when... Because obviously I teach full-time agility now. I didn't mm. used to. I was an architect. Um, but I think it's, it's being able to know at the end of the day that that run was not the be-all and end-all maybe this is yeah. a sort of pressure reduction mm. but you know if I want I can go at the end of the day and enjoy going go-karting with my other half yeah exactly exactly it's when it becomes too much of you know kind of mm. your entire identity and then every run you're like oh yeah. I need to win this to yeah no 100% yeah if winning becomes your identity yeah then that's when problems begin yes definitely and even with the walking side of it like walking your dogs in different areas like we again live in quite a built-up area so there's one sort of woods near us and you know I'll go for runs in it I'll walk arrow in it that's kind of the base where we go uh, because everywhere else is mostly just street but you know arrow still gets his two walks a day and like maybe there's something 10 minute drive away so you know I have to get in my car to go there do you know what I mean but it's yeah. still like you you don't really think of that but then you think it's worth that little extra effort you know just to just to give him a different environment sort of thing yeah even if it's yeah, not I right next to your house really yeah definitely so what is the most important part of preparing you for an event then if so if you had to choose one thing for yourself what would you say is the most important thing so same question but I for think- you I think for me, well, we've kind of spoken about the sort mm-hmm. of physical importance, but I don't actually think that's the most important thing. I think the most important thing for me is, no, and this is going to sound weird because everyone wants to fix all their dog's weaknesses. Yeah, okay? yeah. Um, but I think doing that and driving to fix every single weakness of our dogs, I think you drive yourself to insanity and frustration. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because... I have weaknesses as a human, yeah, um, for yeah. sure. But the most important thing, actually, is that I'm aware of those weaknesses. And mm. um, so sometimes, you know, I I might go into a situation and I'll say to someone, um, you know, this part of the situation is not my it's not my strong point. Yeah. Um, you know, so I could be going into like from when I was working in architecture, I might be going into a conversation with someone about bricklaying. Yeah. Now I need to go into that conversation in an open way that says. Um, you know, my first statement should be, wow, you know so much more about bricklaying than me. I'm trying my best to understand that, but we now need to have a conversation yeah. that involves me trying to sort of understand how the two of yeah. us work together whilst acknowledging that I have vastly less knowledge yeah. than you do. It's a weakness. So being self-aware um, as well. Yeah, so mm. I think when I come to agility courses and I'm starting looking at all the judges' courses, mm. I need to know where our weaknesses are. So yeah. when we were coming up to EO, for example, with Stephanie Semcat, yes. and the session where Zess had a meltdown, one mm-hmm. of these sort of Semcat-esque things came okay. up where there was oh. a jump quite close to the end line of a running dog walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it could not possibly have been that jump because they were too close together. Yeah. Zest with, and I think maybe the depth perception thing has part of Yeah, this. yeah. Thinks it's closer. She really struggles to run through the takeoff zone of a jump. Uh, okay, um, yeah. So sometimes some layering things can be hard for her. Yeah. If she has to, mm-hmm. like, get out and stay out. It's not yeah. so much of an issue. She's already out, mm-hmm. which is why I, I tend to like my tongue under dog walk scenarios. They're good for me. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. she's already away. Yeah, um, yeah, like that's true. she's through the tongue under dog walk. She's already away off my leg. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that going in. So I was like, okay. I'm going to have to compensate for my dog here. Yes, yeah. So if this scenario comes up, 
I know we can't do it the same mm. way that other people can do it. Yeah. But I have the knowledge to know that. I'm not going to go in and try to attempt it unless I'm given absolutely no choice by the yeah. judge. Based yeah. off their previous courses, I'm going to have some kind of decision that yeah. I can make here. Mm-hmm. And go in, okay, so normally the judge, after doing this skill, will pick one of three or four skills to mm. come next. Yeah. I'm going to make those three or four skills that are like 80, 90% good up to absolutely freaking incredible. Yeah. Because I feel like if I try and work on this skill, I'm going to be banging mm. my head against a brick wall. Yeah. Yeah. That's for it. A month, mm. two months, when actually I could spend those two hours making those other skills absolutely incredible. I'm not saying leave the dog's weaknesses alone. Like if your dog has a weakness for weave entries, you mm. might need to, but at least. It's prioritizing. Yeah. This one skill yeah. is going to cost me, and people do this with running dog walks all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, they spend 90% of their training time training running dog walks. It's one obstacle in 40. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like, yeah. let's just be real about this just yeah. for a second. Mm. Whilst I love a sexy running dog walk video, yeah. I got very distracted by Panache yesterday when he did a beautiful yeah. running dog walk and then proceeded to not do my handling on time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> video to come on Facebook later. Yeah. Or they um, do like the bit that you didn't think they'd do and you're like, oh, they did it. Oh no, the rest of the course. And then you mess up the easy bit that you thought you'd be able to do. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So yeah, I think it's that. So if I know my weaknesses, I can at least play to my strengths and acknowledge the weaknesses. So I yeah. think as a handler, the biggest thing I can do is know our weaknesses as yes. a partnership. Yeah. And if I mm-hmm. know them, at least I can try and work around them. Yeah. And it like with handling options, like that's why you gotta fix all of them. Yeah. And like trusting your own how you know how you know how you and your dog run and not being sort of affected by you know, maybe other people's input in how to handle a certain bit of a course because you think, no, my, I know my dog will do it better this way, so stick mm-hmm. to it. Do you know what I mean? Not being influenced by that sort of external. Yeah, Zest has taught me that lesson yeah, 25 yeah. times over and just trust in your gut. Yes. You've got huge. enough experience, and I don't mean you need like 20, 30 years experience. If you've mm. got enough experience, then generally your gut will tell you if that's going to go right. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Listen to that. Irrelevant of what everyone else thinks is the yeah. right one. So again, one thing, if you had to choose, so what is your best piece of advice for competitors preparing for an event? So just like the summary of all of the questions, your one piece of advice yeah. for event prep. Find out where the toilets are. And <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's know the venue, find <laughs> yeah. out where the toilets are and ensure you arrive there in good time. Yeah, yeah. The biggest yeah. piece of death mm-hmm. for an event is being panicked when you arrive. Yeah. Yeah. Panic because you don't know where the bathroom is, mm-hmm. or panic because you're a little late. bit late. Yeah. Awful like, feeling. And that is the kiss of death mm. for, for an event. Either of those two things. Because then you go to and the you ring. You've done the best stressed. prep in the world. Yeah. The ring. And then you go to the ring and you're already stressed because you were just trying to find yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. You're stressed. That passes mm. down to the dog. The dog's now stressed. Dog knows you're stressed. Then at an event, stress. Oh, yeah. good, good luck if you can function. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And it's probably something people wouldn't even think about, but it's worth getting up like an hour earlier just so you don't have that rush, isn't it? Like, I'm, you know, for, for AWC, I didn't want to arrive there late. And one of my mm. main considerations was I want to get on the tunnel in the morning because I don't want to do the M25. Yeah. I don't want to be stressed about it. You know, it's a week before the, no, four or five days before the event. Yeah. I don't want to be stressing about missing my tunnel. Yes, that is true. So I'm mm. going to get down there the night before for my tunnel. Yeah, yeah. So that then I go through, I know I'm already sat there, I'm unlikely to hit any traffic jams. Yeah. Whereas often, you know, I could I could plan in an extra three, four hours into the journey mm. and I could still be late. Yeah, that is that so true, yeah. Because 
M6, M25. That's a nightmare, isn't it? That, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, no, if I'm going to get down there the night before, I'm going to give myself plenty of time to travel. I'm going to make sure that I'm not stressed on arrival. Yeah. And shows as well. That's the nice thing about camping or like being in a hotel. You wake up mm-hmm. and you're there and you don't have to think about traveling. Yeah. Because it's just putting the tent up. Generally, like Saturday mornings and things like that sort of. Okay. Yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, because there's less traffic, but like, you know, we're, we're going down on a, a Friday or a Saturday. So yeah. And yeah. I, I suppose I it depends on the. the yeah. I suppose it depends on like the importance of the event as well. You probably don't need to worry yeah. about that if it's just a, a normal show, but. Yeah. Cool. So that is all the questions for the event prep. But then we've got two bonus questions that people asked that are unrelated, but I thought, let's still whack them in. So someone wants to know, how did you get into agility? Um, So this is is an easier question, actually. Um, So I started (laughs) agility when I was five. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. So my, um, so it's just through my mum and dad. Um, Mm -hmm. So my mum was doing um, obedience. She was in dog training. She, my mum and dad both did some show jumping. Oh, right. Um, Okay. So, um, yeah, and then my mum sort of went off horses. She was chucked off a horse. Oh. Um, and uh, the horse then stood on her back and broke her back. Oh, God. Um, oddly, it's enough to make you go off a certain... Maybe animals. maybe a little bit, um, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. She, I mean, she did go back to it a bit, but mm. never sort of to the same, because I think the risk factor then yeah. is, is that no, much higher of coming mm. on the horse. Um, so, you know, they both did some show jumping, but the jumps got really big. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was like, well, maybe this isn't the smartest idea. And my yeah, mum was doing some enough. sort of obedience and a little bit of um, sort of heel work to music y stuff, like just mm-hmm. bits of it. And my dad wasn't kind of into that. And they went, well, let's give agility a go then. Oh, okay. um, so they mm-hmm. were already doing agility when I was like a toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my, they kind of said to me, well, you can do agility if you want when you can read the numbers up to 20. Yeah. <laughs> um, so when I could read the numbers up to 20, they mm-hmm. went, okay. I had a really kind dog at the time called yeah. Banjo. She was lovely, like Sheltie Cross Collie. Mm-hmm. Hence my recent fascination with Shelties. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, it's not a new venture for me in yeah. fact it takes me back um to oh, okay. my first agility dog who had to jump two foot six fences oh god um, yeah and she was well, a yeah. cross collie so she probably would just about measure out of medium yeah oh wow um, god how it's changed but she was just the sweetest little dog and she mm. used to run on my finger um and like you know it was just the cutest little thing like yeah. some videos on like proper video tapes oh wow like, yeah oh i know I that know. look like they've been taken with a brick somewhere in the in the back of beyond of my parents' loft. Um, yeah, wow. Of me, of me doing agility with them. So that was how I got into agility, mm. basically, and then it kind of stuck. Um, and I became a bit obsessed with dog training, and it's just always interested me. Yeah, rest is history, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other random bonus question was: How do you become a professional within the world of agility? So I'm assuming this is a trainer, I guess sort yeah. of a professional trainer or an expert or whatever you'd call it yeah I mean I think it's a tough question because uh, only because there's so many sort of sub questions and categories I mean yeah there's a lot of agility trainers yes out definitely. There. Mm. okay so I mean you know in theory if you want to become an agility trainer by from the logistical perspective mm-hmm. buy a set of equipment find a venue that will hire it to you yeah, or, you know, yeah. a field or whatever. Mm-hmm. And in theory, then you can set up and, you know, if you advertise on Facebook in local community groups, you'll mm. probably get some people yeah, yeah. who want to come train agility with you, even mm. if you've never competed in agility. And I think, you know, this is this is part of the problem. There's yeah, a lot of... Yeah, um, it's almost too easy. Of, 
low quality agility training out there. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was one of the things that I wanted to do with Wild Paws was I felt mm. like I felt like from a Wild Paws perspective, we mm. wanted to go in there and offer high level agility training to beginners because they didn't know and they weren't unsure how to access it and they would just go anywhere to play a bit of agility yeah and actually what yeah. i saw when i was going around training in some of these places was i saw a lot of stressed dogs i yeah. saw a lot of unmotivated dogs mm-hmm. i saw a lot of dogs that were being dragged around courses and i'm like hold on this doesn't happen generally at the sort yeah. of yeah when you go to a higher level trainer even if they're mm. teaching foundation agility um you know when they have the capability to to get to grade seven you know to run champ and things like that mm-hmm. you know and to succeed in those high level events generally they have a good understanding of dog training so yeah. it, i maybe i can tweak the question to um how would you become a good professional yes. in the yeah. world of dog agility yeah i agree with um, that <laughs> i think you need to to a level become obsessed yeah um mm-hmm. I think because the other people that if you think about the people that are delivering training seminars. So if I think about, you know, the trainers that mm-hmm. uh, go to Dog Sports Derby and teach Dog yeah. Sports Derby, just because that's a reasonably good measure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Then I think these people are immersed into this world. Mm. Um, you know, they are their dogs to my best knowledge, are their top priority. Mm -hmm. They are doing things themselves. They are learning from lots of dogs. And I think one of the things that I didn't understand when I switched from being an architect to being an agility trainer, I was still doing some bits on the side. Like I've been doing bits for a while, like evening classes and stuff. When I switched to doing it full time, um, it allowed me to get in a lot deeper. Mm. Um, to to understand the knowledge but now I realize that I can see things that are going to happen before they happen like way earlier than I could and I think when people Mm -hmm. say these top agility trainers they have loads of time to train their own dogs I probably train my dogs less now yeah because you're just training everyone else yeah Yeah. and I do when I I I don't have a field okay I don't have my own venue this maybe is where I step apart from other trainers Mm. um if I want to go and train like right now if I decide right I'm gonna go train today I have mm-hmm. to message the equestrian center. Is the arena available? Can I come down and hire it? Then I've got to haul all the equipment out that I want. Mm. And then at the end of the session, I have to put all the equipment away. Yeah. So I yeah. have to kind of fit my training generally in between bits of teaching time mm. and things like that um, for my dogs. Um, you know, we're, we're working on the venue situation. But, yeah. Um, if I want to go and train my dogs, I have to do that. So generally actually i'm doing a lot less training now yeah, than i was yeah. before but i think i can see things happening earlier so i think my training becomes more effective because yeah. i'm training so many other people i can see problems coming for my own dogs before they actually occur yes yeah that's like true. having a really good crystal ball yeah but of course yeah. i can cross apply that then to other people that i teach mm, yeah no that's so true i think continuing to love learning and i think not being stuck in your ideas making sure that you can take on board other things. So you have an opinion, mm. but you're not averse to changing that opinion. I meet too many people who are stuck in their own ways. Yeah. Um, and I think they're stuck and they they can't even have a conversation with someone else about an opinion that differs from their own. Yeah. Um, because the opinion that differs from their own, you, you don't have to agree with it. Like mm. the, the thing that's going on at the moment with XL bullies, okay? So I was... I was at a, a non-dog thing last night. Okay. Like, yeah. um, shock, shock, horror. <laughs> wow. Happened. 
and of course when you when you then have a conversation with people and they're like some people you can see that closed off they've made their opinion mm, and yeah. they didn't know that I was a dog trainer okay they didn't know this okay until one of the other people who knew Mark said and they didn't know and they were having this discussion and I was kind of imparting a little bit into that discussion because it interests me yeah um and then you could see the people that were having conversations and they were like and they were interested when I said, okay, well, look, you know, if I now want to breed some um, dog that's going to absolutely um, do the job that the XL bullies maybe were supposed to do as status dogs and be a guarding, scary breed and a status breed at the same time. Yeah. I have two friends with one with an absolutely frigging giant heavyweight dog mm. and one with a dog that is programmed for bite work. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, mm. well, it can just ban those as well, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, are we banning every dog then that's like, that would be in the large hat category for agility? Yeah. Because that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's um, like they refuse to acknowledge that point of view. Yeah, mm. but, you know, it was it's interesting, I think, to see the people that are open to a discussion. And they don't have to agree, and I don't have to agree with them. Yeah. But at least that they let that idea circulate around in their brain for a bit. Yeah, no, definitely. Before making a snap or, you know, like before making a decision about what they do. Or are they going, bang, I've made my decision. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's very that true. Because defines a really good agility trainer from a kind of average agility mm. trainer. Yeah, Someone definitely. that will let those ideas percolate and decide sort of in the long term and not be afraid to go back and say yeah. Do you know what i've changed my opinion from what i thought two years ago two months ago yeah two weeks definitely ago. and you have and to with agility because it's different. like ever changing isn't it like it's so different mm. now to how it was even five years ago do you know what i mean and when i started yeah. i mean i started at sort of a sort of pet kind of training place if that makes yeah. sense um, I think most people do. Yeah, and now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I would never do any of that now. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I cringe at it. But then you also have to think, well, I, I thought that was, you know, I was, I was like 10. I thought that was just the way. I didn't know any different. Yeah. So it's just thinking, well, I know better now from experience. So it's, still, it's just stuff like that, isn't it? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think it's that. And then just making sure that you, I think business acumen is often overlooked in agility. Yes, yeah, um, definitely. Massively. And I think if you've got a bit of business acumen and a good, reasonable knowledge of agility, mm. then I think you think you could go far with it. Because, um, you know, it's it's often hard to work, having come from a, an architecture background mm. where we were working with big businesses, um, sometimes I find that hard in agility to work with other people who don't necessarily work with a bigger business mindset. Yeah. And it's like being an entrepreneur in anything, I suppose, isn't it? Like, mm. it's running your own business. Half of it is, you know, actually running the business side of it as well as actually training, I guess, for you. I, I call it working on the business rather than in the business. Yes, so yeah, that's I'm true. I'm actually teaching or I'm answering messages or whatever, I'm working yeah. in the business. Like, I may as well be an employee at that point. Yeah, and you I created it, but you're working in it. also be the company director. Yeah, no, that's true. on the business. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good way of looking at it. How long did you do the architecture? So I, well, it takes seven years to qualify. Oh, wow. um, I took seven and a half, eight, because I was doing some part-time agility stuff whilst I was oh, okay. yeah. um, doing my qualifications. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I then worked for three, four years, but I made, I went to being an associate architect within the practice that I was working at, mm-hmm. um, and I, I really enjoyed that. And, yeah. Um, it was good, but it just, it just didn't quite light my fire. Yeah, yeah, and I know. What you mean. I didn't like the way it was going with developers and it being 
extremely money-led I knew it was a money-led yeah business but I feel I felt like I'd like to think of myself as reasonably emotionally intelligent yeah I know sometimes I can be a bit blunt um but I'm talking about weaknesses. nothing wrong with that um, <laughs> sometimes I can be a little bit blunt um but I'd like to think that I'm reasonably emotionally intelligent and what I didn't like was I didn't like developers coming in and being like well we just make that window smaller because it's um because that will make it more cost efficient yeah um, mm-hmm. if we do it like this and I'm like well hold on you've got a child in there that's developing you know creativity and brain development yeah. that's likely a child's mm-hmm. bedroom and you're saying I want to save three pounds on each house and sacrifice yeah. yeah that's true you know 10% of the light in that room mm. I'm, like, I'm not on board with that no, like, yeah. I have to make the change because you have told me to and my boss is also telling me mm. to and you know yeah and I'm like that's not in the best interests yeah. of, of society and things moving forward like I know if it's a hundred pounds extra a plot for us to put some slightly nicer paint in it we're not going to do it yeah but yeah that's fair it was it was the it was the penny pinching when they didn't need to, yeah. when I know their mm. profit margins. Mm. So that just really annoyed me. And I was mm. like, do you know what? Actually, I can serve people better mm. um, improving their lives and relationships with their dogs through the use of agility, yeah. which is my goal, by the way, is not to create 50 million agility champions within Wild Paws. That would be lovely. But I feel like that would be an output of me helping people to create better relationships with their dogs yeah. using agility as a game yeah, to deal definitely. with that. Yeah, I suppose that's another thing about being, you know, one of the better professionals in it, you know, having that mindset instead of just either money or success focused, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, uh, whilst it's nice. Oh, yeah. Always a bonus. It's not my core. Yeah. When did you go full time then? It doesn't lead the way I operate. Yeah. So when did you go full time with Wild Paws? I'm assuming you were part time for a while, just doing it on the side, and then yeah, and then so it, it was after, over. and it literally it wasn't really a business so much as mm. a, a side hustle. Yes, yeah. Do, mm, do you know sense. what I mean? Yeah, like I was no, okay, doing yeah. a bit of agility training on the side to get mm. me through my masters because mm-hmm. teaching agility was better than stacking shelves. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, it didn't take me long to figure that out. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, so I've been, I went full-time with Wapples, it was 2020, June, June, July, 2020. So Mm -hmm. I, before sort of letting anyone know, um, I went all in. Um, So I went and incorporated a company. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went for a limited company. And on the same day I went for a limited company, I had my notice in. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. And then I went, right, okay, now we're going to do this. Yeah. Um, Now you don't have a choice. (laughs) No, now you don't have a choice. Now you're doing it. Um, So, yeah, and then you you make it work or you sink. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And you've got two choices. Mm. So that that was kind of how I did it. Um, And it was nice, actually, because I'd sort of been able to use some of the time during uh, COVID while we were all sort of locked up to, to sort of make some plans and ideas mm. but of course I couldn't execute any of these ideas whilst still because me and my previous boss are still on really good terms yeah um, we still chat on sort mm. of a regular basis actually and um yeah I I didn't want to be sort of it was not really deceiving him but I wanted to be very open with him yeah um, yeah so as soon as I'd sort of made the decision I wanted to let him know as soon as I could yeah um, because I don't want to put him in a in a tricky situation mm. either 
Yeah, I was just going to say that was around COVID time, wasn't it? 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2020. It was right between the two lockdowns. Mm, yeah. I picked a really easy time to start a business that was mostly reliant on in-person training. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that, that, can't have been, uh, that can't have been ideal, but you made it work. Did you do online, yeah. a lot of online training, you know, to start with? Uh, yeah, because I didn't have a choice. Uh, so I did a lot of online training, did a lot of one mm. ones because we couldn't do anything else, yeah, which involved yeah. hauling all the kit out by myself because no yes. one else could touch anything, and all the kit back in by myself too. Yeah. Um, do you train at the venue so you hire? It was kind then? of the hardest way to start a business, but I guess after that, it's like you know when they say you start your start your day with a big workout. Yes. <laughs> and um, everything else is going to feel easy. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like true. That. So yeah. You, you yeah. start your business in those conditions. Yeah. Um, no, everything that's else true. is going to feel like happy unicorns, rainbows, and very uh, true sunshine. Maybe apart from this <laughs> stupid planning application, but that's oh yeah, a whole story. Yes. Yeah, that's very true. So, are you training at the venue that you said you hired then at the moment? Yeah, so I hire two equestrian centres at the moment, yes. yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So one indoor, one outdoor, and I've got the my other instructors as well that use those venues because we're a team of um, we're a team of uh, five instructors. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, amazing. Well, that is all of the questions. Cool. Thank you very much, especially on no a day. I think is it your boyfriend's birthday? You said. No, so it's his birthday on Friday, but oh, we're going okay. to have some food later. Um, oh, okay, so yeah. We're, we're going to go out with some friends, um, and I've got to do all the board collies exercises. Yes, and I felt really bad. I was like, it doesn't have to be today, but <laughs> thank you for fitting no, it in anyway. No. It was it was Friday, you're safe. Instead, I, I dragged him to a, a, bless him, he does put up with a lot sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I dragged him down to a, a really glamorous uh, holiday in or days in or whatever it is that we were staying in. Before the agility, yeah. <laughs> yeah before, the, before the agility stays quarterfinals, which I'm sure was his exact perfect idea of how oh, to Oh yes, absolutely. But it was worth it because <laughs> you qualified, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, All right, then. Awesome then. Um, I'll speak to you anyway um, at the end of the month of obviously my free trial. Um, yes. And we'll have, we'll and just speak about that again. Job. Oh, thank you. I know. Awesome. What's That's funny really is exciting. that I actually did the interviews while I was uh, camping at KCI. Um, but the, <laughs> the signal was that bad that I had to go find a Costa and sit in and do them at KCI in a Costa around the corner from in Oakham. <laughs> Um, so that was that was a pain, but but it paid off anyway. But yeah. Well, there you go. Happy days. <laughs> yes, much better than McDonald's. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But yes. Well, good luck with it. I hope Thank you. Really well. But yes, I'll message you at the end of that, and we can sort of reevaluate everything, see where we're at. Um, absolutely. But yeah, so I'll speak to you then. Thank you again. Beautiful. Thank you. See Bye. you later. Bye. So that was my conversation with Nicola, my longest episode to date, two whole hours, and we probably could have chatted for even longer if podcasts didn't have any kind of time restrictions. I found that so interesting and actually quite relatable. A lot of the things she was saying I related to as well and learned from as well for myself and Arrow. So I hope you guys learned a lot as well and enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. And without further ado, you know the drill. Go follow me on all of the socials. I will put those here on the YouTube video and down below in the description on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, that would be amazing. Thank you so much. It helps keep this podcast going. And yeah, 
that's pretty much everything for today. Keep sending me your guest ideas, solo episode ideas for future podcast episodes. If you want to come on the podcast with a topic idea of your own, let me know as well because that's something that I'd like to get into. Still trying to figure out a date to do a live podcast episode uh, with me on Instagram Live as well. So let me know if that's something that is of interest to you. But yeah, without further ado, you know the drill once again. I will see you all next Wednesday at 8pm on the dot every single week. And have a great week, guys. Bye.